say it's me or Sanj. I don't know, man. Huge hole in my, you know, yeah. <laughs> understanding. <laughs> my fellow Americans. <laughs> Probably are you. As long as you're, whatever you're doing doesn't hurt anyone else, I don't care. Different perspective of what an interesting topic is than I would assume. This is Balance Exchange. Hey everybody, welcome back to Balance Exchanged. I'm Papa Bear, and this is... Cronus. And this time we're going to talk about a pretty serious subject, and it's racism. So we're going to get into it. I guess we're just going to hop into it after actually a second, because we have a tradition, I guess, on the podcast now is, what are we drinking? Yeah. So Papa Bear, what are you drinking? Uh, so we kind of covered it a little bit uh, before we got started, but I'm still doing some pretty heavy-duty keto, so it's mostly water. so it's sparkling water with strawberry flavoring i think it's a perrier one and a little bit of vodka actually i didn't even add lemon juice this time i forgot so second glass when we come back from a break um i'll have to add lemon juice because that makes a pretty big difference when you're drinking i am uh i drank less before doing this podcast because it's a serious subject and i want to make sure i kind of stay a little bit more focused than than usual but i'm drinking a truly with uh vodka added vodka so it's basically what you're drinking just with more alcohol yeah, yeah, so, okay. yeah. <laughs> um but yeah I'll, I'll probably have a beer somewhere through this and then yeah i still have i still have two of those belching beavers really in the fridge for when i make weight and i'm like okay i'll break keto for for a day or two and then go right back to it just because i know i want to drink those beers so. yeah i was i, I was kind of pissed I, I was gonna send you a, like a really rare beer because i was gonna pre-order it today um but they sold out in less than 25 minutes i was so pissed and i was like i was i was talking about all this uh gamestop stuff and i forgot what time it was and i was like then i went to go on and I'm like oh they still got it and the, first of all the site crashed and then once it came back up uh it was sold out so no oh, man so that's all right say. yeah but i have other beers that i'm that i'm saving and i have yeah, another we'll make this work. tomorrow we will. So at this point in watching our videos, you may or may not know that I am an active duty United States Marine. And I've been doing this for 20 plus years. So I know that um, it's really important for me to make sure to get this out there. If it's your first time watching this, please stick around and make sure you understand the disclaimer. If you've watched a whole lot of our episodes so far, feel free to go ahead and jump ahead to the new content. Um, so what I need to talk about today is that I am not authorized and have no way of being approved to speak on behalf of the Marine Corps. So any opinion that I give or any concept that I discuss today is the position and the opinion of just me, myself, just a man who has a bachelor's degree in political science and a master's degree in leadership and organizational management and has spent my whole life looking at government structures and social contracts and how these things are supposed to work, what the philosophies and things behind them are, and read a lot of books on that kind of stuff. And it's definitely one of my personal and key passions. And so when you hear me maybe give a position or a concept on something that is only my own position, I am not a public affairs officer for the Marine Corps. I am in no way giving what the Marine Corps' official position on anything would be. And honestly, a lot of the topics we're going to cover here, I'm pretty sure the Marine Corps doesn't have a particular position on. Um, so if you do have any questions about what the Marine Corps' policy on certain things could be, you can definitely research that and find those out um, or leave a comment or send us a message. Uh, if you can get a hold of us somehow, we can maybe be able to answer those questions for you. So with that said, let's get you back to this week's content. All right. So we're going to get on to a pretty heavy subject, and I actually have a lot of notes and stuff this time around, uh, and it's about racism. So it's something that I have sort of 
not flip-flopped on. It's kind of weird to hear a black guy say that. But it's something that I didn't think was as serious up until recently, especially after going back through my entire life and, like, uh, my parents' lives and my, my brother and sisters, my, all my relatives, and, like, really just remembering, like, the way that things were when we were growing up and the reasons why um, black communities are so uh, distraught. May, most black communities are so distraught um, in America today. And so I kind of wanted to go over it in case anybody doesn't really understand when we talk about systemic racism or um, why these black communities are not doing as well as other, say, um, other ethnic communities that have thrived here in America, but we have not. Um, and I can, I can lay that out pretty, hopefully pretty nicely for everybody that's listening and watching. So I want to start uh, with the kind of the start of the transatlantic slave um, system. It started back in like the back in nineteen. I'm sorry, nineteen, fifteen twenty six, and it's actually from Portugal going over to Brazil. So if you go to Brazil right now, everybody speaks Portuguese, and if you also go to Brazil, you know there's a lot of black people there as well. Also, not a, a lot of Japanese people, which is kind of interesting as well. But that transatlantic transatlantic slave trade, um, to me, I remember when I was a kid and growing up up, up until like maybe like f actually real recently. I didn't understand, like, I knew that there was already slavery in Africa because it was, it was a common thing that happened in Africa. And so when people were like, oh, well, you know, America didn't invent slavery. I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's slavery in Africa. But what I didn't understand was that the slavery in Africa was vastly different from slavery in um, Europe and slavery, especially in the Americas. So there is a really good book called The Interesting Narrative of the Life of, I'm going to mess up this guy's name. But it's uh, Olada Aquino, Aquino, and it's about a, a kid that grew up in Ethiopia, and he became uh, a slave in Africa, and then he got sold into slavery in the transatlantic sla slave trade. And when he talks about slavery in Africa, um, basically he got stolen from his um, from his tribe, and he mm -hmm. got so he got sold kind of um, to a family, but he was treated like he was part of the family so he wasn't doing uh, he wasn't getting tortured he wasn't getting whipped he, you know he basically just did work around the house to help the family out and so he got traded kind of back and forth in africa more than a few times to different families and some were uh, better and some were worse but none of them treated him like the ways that he would see later on in life in the americas when he first the first time he ever saw um things like muzzling um, which is literally where they put like a metallic apparatus in somebody's mouth attached to their head so they cannot speak, was when he saw the transatlantic slave trade. And that was basically on his way to go to uh, to the Americas. And he, that's the first time he saw thumb screws, um, when he saw people bound, uh, people beginning uh, flogged, which is basically beaten, um, and a whole bunch of like really terrible things. And so to me, it was like, I didn't know that there was like different kinds of slavery. Did, did you know that? Yeah, so a lot of times when I talk uh, slavery with people too, it, you talk about the, the thing that kind of makes the slavery in the United States a bit different, I guess the colonies at the time and then and then into the States was um, it's something we talk about all the time here, right? It's, it's probably going to be one of our first shirts is the us versus them thing. Yeah. So if you go back into like Roman slavery and into, you know, Eastern and Western European slavery too, even amongst tribes in like the Gallic states and all the other stuff prior to major civilizations like Rome spreading out, but they were doing slavery too, is that 
anyone who was conquered, no matter what their skin color, whatever they were, what other culture they were, everyone was brought back to be slaves, right? You took a whole bunch of slaves, but anybody could have been a slave because everybody looked, you know, it, it didn't, they didn't look different. It was, they could be African slaves. It could be uh, Middle Eastern slaves. It could have been, you know, uh, Greek slaves that you captured from some island and brought back. And so there was this ability to earn your way out of the slavery and then go back into society and no one would ever know, right? You'd look just like anybody else and who managed to be traveling there. And so then the shift from that kind of uh, more like um, uh, conquering and then enslaving versus specifically targeting a particular culture that you can bring to be slaves so that you can visually look and say that those people who we brought here are from a completely different culture than everybody else who's here those are the slaves was kind of a key difference. And I think that's a key part of what we're going to probably talk about today too, that leads towards how drastically different it was here. Because when anybody around you could have been a slave, you might've treated your slaves better because someone else might look at you who now is in maybe even a position better than you because they made it there. Cause it's totally possible in that Roman style of slavery uh, to, to then get you in trouble for the poor treatment of your slaves. And they, you know, they tell you that's not the way you're supposed to treat your slaves. And, yeah, it's definitely different than the way slavery was in the, in the colonies and then in the early United States. Yeah, and it was actually the way that we did slavery here in America was to our detriment. But that's we'll talk about it in a little while. Um, it's the Civil War is the reason why one of the reasons why the South lost, which I'll get into in a little bit. Um, but once we start talking about, you know, slaves coming to America from Africa, this is when you start seeing the uh, there's going to be like a kind of pervasive um, conversation around uh, white supremacy in America. And, and really dominating uh, certain cultures. And one of the first cultures that they dominated, it, it wasn't um, it wasn't necessarily Africa, but it was Africans that were slaves in America where they totally dominated every single facet of their lives. So when you talk about the, uh, the transatlantic slave trade, first of all, when they were just doing the whole shipping of people's bodies from... Africa to America, there was a horrendous loss of life in those mm-hmm. trades because we were treated as cargoes. They would just basically put us in the hull and chain us to the floors. And there was millions of lives lost just from the transportation. And then once we got to our uh, location in the Americas, they did a thing called seasoning, which is where um, they would further break the slaves and they would have to get used to their new slave lives uh, wherever they were. And those were also many millions of lives were lost through that, too through um, starving, through, you know, outright killing um, and, and, and sickness. Because, you know, if you go to any, I mean, you, could, you travel right now and you go to a different country, you just eat, you eat their food and you're probably going to get sick because you're not used to it, you know. Mm. I mean, back then it was even more a big deal because they didn't have modern medicine. Um, and it also came down to really breaking the, uh, the, African-American, the African families where they would um, separate um, men from women, you know, they would separate the children because it was easier to control the children to become slaves because that's basically all they would ever know. If they if they had a, a leader that was a male, they would either kill him or do other horrendous things like you know, um, genital mutilation or rape them or other horrific things and then also rape the African um, women. Uh, and that that was kind of like the, the, the start of breaking... Uh, black people in America just from the jump. And so when people talk about why is there so many issues with the African-American community, you know, today, that's basically where it started is because it started with breaking the uh, 
the African family from from the jump coming to America, and it it keeps progressing through today, which you know I'll get into in a little bit. But what are your thoughts on on this, man? So so something you said made me think of another concept, which makes it seem not too surprising, I guess, that they would separate people, but it was the, the, the concept was at the time families would stay together, single individual family units. But like if a single tribe was going to be brought into Roman culture, like as you conquered a new Gallic tribe or you took over a new part of like the Germanic tribes, especially the Germanic tribes, because they would, they would bind together really, really strong. And the concern from the Romans at the time was that if we left them in big units, like uh, individual clans or tribes, that they would have enough power potentially to grow over time and then be able to take control of certain regions. So they would keep family units together, but they would split up entire tribes and clans all throughout Roman territories so that they couldn't bond together and become more focused on themselves and then became Roman. It was like their goal. Their goal was to stop being what you used to be, become Roman and be a part of the society. Um, so the idea of breaking up the strength of any particular unit it's kind of not a new thing, but the method you described is different than, than that, obviously, with different objectives. Yeah. So it totally changes the way it was taken and what it was done with it. So that, that was kind of a, a thought that started coming to me while you were talking about it. Yeah, it's, it's like they took the, the very they took the extremes of slavery yeah. um, and they really just they just cranked it up, you know, basically to 11 or 12. Um, and it, it obviously was detrimental to the people that that became slaves. Um, when we, you know, obviously we, we dealt with slavery for for a while in America. And when we had the civil war, um, one of the major reasons why the North won was because the South actually put too much of their economic and basically everything with their whole economy, their way of life was basically based around having slaves. And so they didn't put any money into infrastructure at all because they were making money off of free labor. So they didn't have any sorts of innovations. They, they didn't have roads. They didn't, well, they had some roads, but not a whole lot of roads. They didn't have a whole lot of, like, bridges, none of that shit. They just had, like, their plantations. The plantations were making money off of selling the goods that um, their slaves were creating, and they were just selling that. But they weren't doing anything to really enrich the rest of, you know, their local communities um, and their states and, you know, just the whole regions. They just weren't doing that. And it became super detrimental during the war because when you're fighting a war and you need to, you know, move supplies around, if you don't have fucking roads, like, <laughs> you know, that, that's a serious, a serious problem. So um, they were far behind the North when it came to just like basic industrial technology because of slavery. Hmm. I didn't know that part. So I know that roads, you know, as a... Um... It becomes kind of a libertarian joke, sort of, too. You say if you took away all the government stuff, but what would happen to the roads? You know? Yeah. <laughs> it, kind of, it becomes a libertarian joke. They would say, more roads. But, like, um, there were roads. There were very well-maintained roads in a lot of the major cities in the Northeast um, prior to there being any serious income tax or any other way to, like, get money from all of the, the citizens to pay for those roads. They were just things that needed to be in place so the the cities and the citizens there made sure that that was taken care of. But yeah, it's interesting to, to hear that uh, there weren't any serious roads in the South. I do remember, um, I'm sure some of the, like the towns would have it, right? So in yeah. the town there would be roads, but not like interconnecting roads yeah. so that you could ride your horse quickly from town to town. Instead you're on 
trails, dirt dirt trails, pretty much everywhere in between any major town. That makes sense. Like I remember seeing videos um, both between Civil War and then uh, there was a couple other ones I watched of that like period pieces or whatever, and they're always on dirt roads when they're in the south. It makes sense now that now that you mention it. Yeah, yeah. And so like logistically, that's that's a nightmare if you're trying to trying to fight you know a war. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, so like imagine instead of having a wide enough trail or, that you could march an entire cavalry or a huge force from one place to another, you have no way to get them without finding areas that move away from forests. So now you can't cross forests because the troops, troop formations would be too big to try to march through. And yeah, I could see that having been an issue where the roads might have been bitter, like bigger and more able to, to move around. I know in the, um, the you know, major battleground areas too. So I spent some time in Virginia and you get to go visit a lot of these civil war battlefields, which is pretty cool. And most of the areas where those battles were, you can look and see it's like, there's a, there's a, a copse of trees over there on a hill and like a copse of trees over there, but it's just huge wide open spaces between these areas. And it's like, yeah, this would have been an easy area to move huge amounts of troops around without there being, a need for some really high quality roads. So, yeah, but then, yeah, because they, they did like the stupid, the way they fought wars back then was, was totally ridiculous. Just like standing in line and then getting shot and like, okay. But didn't yeah. last much longer. Yeah, yeah. But then we had trenches. So, like later on. But anyway, um, so yeah, that, you know, the detriment of having slavery because you were just relying on somebody else to do your work for you, it's definitely a detriment. Yeah. And especially when you had um, the, like a huge, um, majority, well, not even majority, just a, a huge portion of the population were slaves that couldn't vote. They weren't fighters. They weren't, you know, they were just, they were just slaves. So when you have that and then you have, you know, um, a force that's coming from, you know, pretty near you from the, from the North coming down to you, it's like, where do you pull all your fighters from? Like, where do you amass a force? Like, where do you, how do you, uh, innovate to make newer weapons when you're only focused on, you know, really commodity trading with, you know, other regions. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned something about, too, and I think this is kind of a point that you were making, and I wanted to, to re-clarify it, too. So you talk about where do you pull the troops from, and the reality is that the population density in the South was so minimal if you don't count slaves, right? Yeah. If you say just people who are property owners or whatever, which is part of why you know what the, like, three-fifths compromise was. I was going to mention right? that. Glad you did. <laughs> so, like... We don't want them to vote, but when we count for people, we need to count how many slaves I have. We're like, but you're not going to let them vote. Okay, then how about we just count three-fifths so that way we still have some plus some numbers. But that just means that then the states have more representation yes. in Congress and more representation like for, for other things than they would if they weren't counting slaves. Because, like you said, in those cases, there were so few people that counted that in that, that, that situation then – you're not going to be able to put together entire huge statewide armies when when your entire population encounts for like a couple of plantation owners and a bunch of slaves that you're not counting on to fight for you. It, Yeah, it, I think what you said like made me think, hey, that's probably part of why they even made that compromise. It was like, we're not going to have enough people because we're going to keep on just having slaves work all the land who, who can't vote and yeah. aren't going to fight for us. So. Yeah, and that, that whole can't vote thing still happens. I mean, to this day, I mean, you even, you know, recently with the last election when they disenfranchise voters and they keep moving or in, in gerrymandering and all those other things that really disenfranchise um, uh, minority voters. It's to, to make sure, because if you have more people come out for votes, it, typically throughout history, um, it votes, it bids well for Democrats. If you have less voters, it bids well for Republicans, which is kind of weird that uh, that happens. I don't really understand 
Do you know why that happens? For the last 70 years or so. Yeah, it's it's quite odd that that happens. Uh, so, so I mean, I think we talked about it a little before, and we still plan on talking about it at a different time, but, like, I don't have a problem with disenfranchising some voters. Yeah. Um, but I think <laughs> there are different reasons, not the reasons that we are now talking about, that would be the reasons to not count people's votes. Yeah. Um, but, but that has nothing to do with what your skin color is or what religion you believe in or where you live it's it's all about not being a selfish asshole type of a person who has never given a crap about anybody else's thoughts or considerations if i could not count their votes i would because if if you if you can vote in a way that makes it so that you're considering the impact of the vote for someone other than yourself then that's a good vote right as long as you can say like i'm thinking about this i have enough information and i'm not thinking about only the impact to me but the impact to the rest of my community and my society or whatever, that's a good vote. But a lot of people just go vote straight down party line. We talked about that before yeah. or only vote because it affects me. I'm going to vote a certain way. Well, how does it, how does it affect other people too? What's the impact? You know, you need to think. And a lot of people aren't forced to do that. So I would not mind disenfranchising those people, but <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a whole topic for another day. Yeah. It's a slippery slope. I'll, I'll get into a little bit of that probably later on in this, but okay. yeah, I'll, the, the reason why traditionally you don't see like, it, like education standards with voting is because, well, we'll get into it. We're moving along. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so slavery ends, um, and with the 13th amendment. And the problem is with the 13th amendment, it, it first, it set slaves free, but it also, laid the path for continued slavery in the same exact amendment, which I think that most people don't really seem to understand. So I'll read to everyone word for word what the, the first part of the 13th Amendment is. And it says, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime, hint, hint, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist in the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So in the words, it lets you know that if you're convicted of a crime, you can still be a slave. Yeah, basically. And that is what's happening to this day. <laughs> Do you have you ever read like any of the floor debates or anything? Because I guarantee that stuff was like documented that uh, when the Thirteenth Amendment was passed. I did, I have not. Maybe I should. I mean, I'm definitely. That's what I'm thinking. I was like, I I want to read that now. Like, did that get brought up? Like, do people go like, but. But you're basically still letting it, you know, in that way. Because I'd be curious because a lot of times you can find the intent of every single word in these kinds of things. If you can go back and read the the, the adjustments that were made, like the, how the amendment was rewritten and how many times it had to change in committee. And be kind of interesting to do some research. I bet someone's written about it if, if that if that exists. Yeah. If not, it'd be a good doctorate thesis. I'm not that, <laughs> that would be really good. Because, I mean, because, you know, that, that part about basically if you committed a crime, you can become a slave. Yeah. Um, that became, uh, it became probably innocuous at the time. But immediately after that, um, we saw a slew of issues with the 13th, 13th Amendment. And a lot of them had to do with um, the ways that local law enforcement interpreted crimes, the way that they made new crimes, like new laws for um, certain crimes and then changing to way harsher punish punishments for African Americans, um, and so this is a this is one like one of the main problems. So they they fr they freed the slaves, but they didn't do anything to help them. 
And so that became like a serious issue in America. So you have all these slaves that are free. These are people that are skilled workers, but they have nowhere to work now and they have no money and they have nowhere to live. So what are they supposed to do? Well, you got to look for a job, right? This is where this is where they first started screwing over freed slaves. Um, is that they, they made new laws in, especially in the South, where if 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 you got if you got caught loitering, they would arrest you on site. So if it was if you if they saw you in a certain time of day and you were not working, they would arrest you on site and they would throw you in jail. Um, and then they would do a thing called convict leasing, which is where basically they would throw you in jail and then they would lease your body out to back back to the same plantation that you just got freed from um, to basically be a slave again to private individuals, which is to basically be a slave again or to corporations, which is, which is what still happens to this day. They still basically do convict leasing. If, if you look up um, companies that still use prison labor, that's basically convict leasing. So um, it got so bad that in uh, 1898, 73% of the revenue in the state of Alabama was from convict leasing. That's basically slavery, again, after slavery was already abolished. What year did you say? It was 1898. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was thinking um, immediately to my mind comes Shawshank Redemption, you know? <laughs> um, and, like, how he was, he was you know, scraping, like, he was making money as the warden and all the other work processes that were going on. It just shows that, like, that's just still around. That was what's supposed to be, like, the 1930s or something like that something like that yeah yeah well yeah. i mean it's it's still today i mean like you you see yeah. um the, shit. I, I was, that was part of it i was like you're talking about 1890s 1880s and this is like still 1930 and it's still like today so nothing's really changed with that system yeah i mean like walmart uh hp there's a whole bunch of like huge companies that still use mm. uh slave labor if you look at when you have when we have when we have large fires in california guess who's fighting the fires first they're convicts and they're not getting yeah. paid really anything to fight these fires. It's slave labor to fight these fires, and it's it's wrong. Uh, it, there was a, they actually showed a little bit about that on a TV show I watched recently. Station Nineteen, I think, is a Seattle one, and I think that's the one it was. I could be wrong. So it's one of these firefighter shows, and the guy was the captain of the fire station for a while, but he had like smashed his leg really bad, right? Mm -hmm. And so he gets healed, but then he's still feeling a lot of pain. So he was taking like morphine. So then he's addicted to that. They stop his prescription. So he starts trying to take other stuff to deal with the pain. They find out about it. He gets kicked out of the, the fire department, gets hired on with a private contracting fire firm. that does like, uh, like private firefighting for rich people, or whatever, but they also conduct training for prisoners for when they're called up to fight fires. I was like, that's a thing. Yeah. So it's them there with the convicts, like teaching them to fight fires. I was like, Oh, that's an interesting yeah, it was pretty cool that they included that in the show. Yeah, that is cool. I think there was, was there, I want to say there's a proposition that came up. I think it was last year and I voted for, to pay these firefighter convicts. Like, listen, I understand that, you know, you committed a crime, but if people are using your skills, like you need to be compensated for it on some level, you know, like I, that, well, like it's a whole other thing about like the way that our prisons work. It's it's about punishment and not rehabilitation at all. So, that is we talked about it a little before it was like i don't think you would have thought we were talking about it, like or made an anecdote connection to it but the fact that it primarily is associated with crimes that are counted as felonies right yeah like we say you are a felon which we would all say or should say as a society those are things that show your inability to be like 
understanding of the rest of society and maybe like hurting other people is generally the way I always think of felonies. Right. But when operating a motor vehicle without the proper registration or paperwork, like we talked about with the rich rebuilds, like one of those was counted as a felony. I was like, yeah. what, why would <laughs> having some paperwork that the state told me I have to have be a felony? I'm not putting anybody else at risk. I'm not doing anything that like is a serious detriment to society. So I don't, so that's where we get them, right? Is that's where we get to this point is where we say, we're just going to make all of these things a felony if you don't have the right lawyer or the right amount of money to be able to buy your way out of actually going to prison for this felony. And then now you're able to be put into the position where yep. you free labor. And we'll get into that. Like, we're going to get into modern screwing over of African-Americans. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, we'll get into modern, the modern, modern the modern screwing over of African-Americans. But we're still in, like, the 1800s at this point. So, <laughs> but I'll... I'll um, let's see, I got through the comic leasing. Okay, so uh, shortly after, you know, the comic leasing thing, even though it's still going on today, um, there was a whole new slew of laws called the Jim Crow laws. And so these were things that were local um, segregation laws and, fed and federal segregation laws where they were just like, okay, we're just going to make it so that we cannot have um, African Americans and Caucasian, European Americans, white people and black people using the same sorts of facilities and this is where you see where america could have like likely have healed from slavery could have been around this point but because we had these jim crow laws the the divide between whites and blacks in america became even larger and it became insurmountable at this point the, the, it's, it was a snowball effect so within these laws um we saw this whole thing um it's basically it, how do I put it? This is where you get separate but equal, right? Yes, but it was separate but unequal. So when they say separate but equal, that whole term is 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 wrong because if you look at it today, we had things like redlining, um, which actually I'll just get into it right now. So this is one of the things that came from Jim Crow laws. Redlining is a term that was used to where there was you could literally look on a map and you could draw a red line around a district, and this is where you would place all of your um, minorities. And you would separate them from white people. And what they did was they made sure that in these red line districts that they had um, lower quality construction materials. They were usually um, in a residential area that would butt them up right up, right up against industrial areas, including toxic waste sites. Um, you, would, you wouldn't have any parks. You would have things called food deserts where basically you would have no grocery stores. Sounds familiar? Does it sound like a fucking ghetto yet? Um, and, and this is how we still have ghettos to this day is because if you look at a red line district and you look up high crime areas and ghettos, this, this literally, you, it hasn't changed since, since like the, the early 1900s or the late 1800s, this has not changed because of this. So, so how, how, is there anything in what you're talking about or that you know of that explains exactly how that's done? Right. So say we, we had this area. Right. And it's not done that way. But we're saying it's starting to get to the point where we either need to fix it or we need to do something else with it. So we redline it. And now we say that's where we're going to put these people. We're, I mean, we're not like physically moving everybody there. We're not moving other people out and like herding people into this town and saying, you live here now. Like we don't do that. How, how, how did that happen? Yes, they did, actually. So what happened okay, was great. is that um, they made it so you couldn't if you were black or especially if you're black, but other minorities as well, but it's mostly black people, um, is that you cannot, you cannot buy or rent a home in 
um, non-redline districts. So if you okay. apply for rent, if you apply to rent a home or apply to own a home, you cannot do it because it was redline. You can actually look in um, a lot mm-hmm. of um, deeds to houses. Like you know, there's like a whole contract in your deed. There's this thing called a con. I think it's what's it, a convent. Pretty sure it's called a convent, um, where it's literally like a clause at the end where it says this uh, property shall not shall not be sold to coloreds. And you could. And there's still those con. Those are still in deeds today. Hmm. Like a lot of people will be, especially if you live in like certain parts of the of the country. Like you can pull up like your the deed of your house, read over the whole thing. It might be in there. Um, so that's how they did it. And if, if you happen to, because there were some sympathetic white people that would actually sell their homes to people of color. And so this is where it gets into like the race riot thing. So if if somebody um, black bought a home from somebody white in a all white neighborhood, a common practice was for the white neighborhood to harass, um, destroy the property or kill the inhabitants of the home. And the local um, law enforcement would do nothing or help them do this. And so this gets into this whole um, race riot things that lasted for like a really long time. So, and when I say race riots, it's kind of weird because what, when somebody says race riots, you might think that there's, there'd be like fighting on both sides. Right. Mm. But it, it was mainly white people destroying black neighborhoods. And so this gets into why, um, why we don't have wealth in black communities. And it starts basically from these these race riots. Um, one of the main ones that is uh, of note today was the uh, the race riot in the Green, what's it called, the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma, because it was during um, Watchmen, uh, the last mm-hmm. yeah. uh, on, on HBO. Did you watch it? We talked about it. Yeah. yeah. Like, I went back and I watched. I so I did a, a search and I saw that scene basically. I, I haven't watched the whole movie again. My son actually was shocked because I talked to him about it the other day. He was like, you haven't seen the movie? I was like, no. <laughs> I still haven't seen one. No, no the, but, the show, not the movie. Oh. But I looked up that scene. Okay. If a scene, it was, if it was in Tulsa, then yeah, that was definitely the show then. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, he most... asked me about the movie because he wanted to watch the shows. And I just searched Watchmen, Riot, whatever on YouTube so I could know what you were talking about after that time we talked last about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's... It's it's horrific and it's not yeah. it, it's not taught. It's this like most things that I'm talking about are not talked about in schools, which is kind of a shame. I mean, and there's right. I think we we've mentioned it in another talk too. I mean, there's a reason for that, and that's that um, that that topic I or that concept I talked about of trying to make anybody who is Roman like think Roman and be Roman and learn Roman and know how to act like a Roman. There was an effort early in writing the American education system to try to do a similar thing where we would create these like um, idealized story driven kind of like concepts around this idyllic version of what we want America to be. And so we would tell stories and teach history to reinforce this idea of this is the way America is supposed to be. And when we do terrible things like lock up Japanese during World War II, we don't want to talk about those things because it doesn't look good. So we try to pretend like those things didn't happen because that's not what we're supposed to do. But we do them anyways. Like, well, why do we do those? If that's not what we're supposed to do, yeah, don't do those things. Yeah, we need to be able to learn from it. We need to be able to tell, you know, current and future generations that we did something that was wrong and yeah. we need to not do it again. But if you just hide it under the covers then you have serious issues that we that, that we are still dealing with to this day 
like literally the insurrection that happened you know recently here in america that has to do with kind of the same deal like this whole supremacy thing and it's just like we need to like really nip this stuff in the bud or we're not going to we're going to go the way of rome <laughs> so if we just let uh this insanity erode our society um anyway so th the race riots that happened um in the greenwood district um that wasn't the only one and so when i say a race riot it makes it seem like basically what happened was um the white community that was around greenwood they went in and killed over 300 african-americans and this is a predominant community right it was called black wall street because they had a bunch of money because people think that we've always been poor we, we haven't there were times in multiple times throughout history where we gained actually a good amount of wealth but what happened was after like during those times shit like this would happen where um white communities would band together and burn our communities to the ground and loot us they would steal all of our belongings burn the rest of the ground and the local law enforcement um, would at best do nothing or participate in looting and destruction. And I'll give you just a few. Um, it happened in New Orleans in uh, 1900, New York City in 1900, Atlanta in 1906, uh, Springfield, Illinois in 1908, uh, Slocum massacre in 1910. There's multiple times where this has happened. I'm not even getting into like recent history where we've had things that, that have happened. Um, and it's just, it's insane how many times this has happened, but people just, they, they forget about it, but it's easy because it's not, it's not talked about anymore because once it happens, they just, um, they just cover it up. Um, if you go to, there's a, there's a thing, if you go to black, what's it, blackpass.org and just look up, uh, violence, racial violence in the United States since 1660, and it'll give you a long list of racial violence in america and it's it's gonna and you can click on every single one of them and see how many people died where it was at and the actual details around um these massacres or riots and it's it they're not pretty pictures mm -hmm. um if if you want to um know more about um redlining in particular there is a really great book called the color of law um that i read a couple of months ago it's one of the other guys in the podcast prodigy uh, had mentioned to, to check it out and it's fantastic it literally lays out everything you need to know about redlining and possible ways forward um that i'll talk about when we get to like the reparations part uh of the podcast later on because there there are ways to to sort of fix this um and the whole wealth denial thing that's happened to african americans has, has been a huge deal like i said before when we were brought over here we we're brought over here with nothing we couldn't gain any wealth for the longest time. Once we became free, we still, it took us a long time to gain wealth. And once we did, like I said, the, the race riots happened. So we lost all our wealth again. And um, for most people, um, most of their wealth is tied up in their property, in their homes, if you can own a home. But if you look historically, um, it's been very difficult for African-Americans to own homes, mainly through redlining. And if we did own a home, it'd be in a place that was redlined, which would be an undesirable place to buy a home. So um, I personally am affected by this because my parents didn't own a home until I was like in my mid-20s. Um, my mom died this last year, passed along no wealth to me. And she was, um, if somebody was to talk about my mom, you they would consider her pretty well off. But nothing was passed down to me because there was no wealth that was accumulated. And this, I think, so this would be a moment where you, you talk about how you didn't really t 
take this topic that seriously, I guess, until kind of recently. You more thought of it as like a, I don't really understand kind of topic. Yeah. This is where, like, I think some of that comes from too. Is that neither did my parents. My parents have never owned a house, right? They they, my mom to this day still lives in like, basically state assisted living, uh, because she's just never done anything. But she, they're they're not black, so it it doesn't mean it's only because you're black that those things happen. Yeah. But, I think what we're seeing and what we're trying to talk about here is that that there's there's more of like a systemic like a, a societal issue forcing that to happen for a group whereas that can still happen to other people. So yeah. the problem is is anybody who falls into those other categories thinks then that means this other thing doesn't exist. And then for those who maybe are in the group but managed to still do some good with their like then also maybe have a hard time seeing that there's the other systemic part of it. So I just wanted to clarify that part there too. It's like, look, I, I had a trouble understanding a lot of this topic too, because I looked at it from that side, like I didn't have anything. I definitely lived under a bridge and slept in a goodwill truck and wondered where I was going to eat several times during high school. And so to me, it was really hard for a really long time to understand, like we all can struggle. We all can have these, these problems and it's, it's on each of us individually to to you know actually do something about it but in certain cases i've come to realize like there's a whole lot less opportunity i guess really what to be able to fix the problem you're stuck with yes it's um like when you talk about you know your parents which how do i put this i don't want to sound like an asshole all right i'm just gonna i'll state it as as gently as i can um what happens to um anybody that's poor i feel for you like um, your uh, existence, especially here in America, it's, it's fucked up because you're living in, in a land of opportunity and, and people still struggle. I'm not saying that I'm not trying to discount anybody that struggles at all. But the difference between that took me a while to realize the difference between black people struggling in America and white people struggling in America is that there was a point in time for a very long time, arguably to this day, to where systemically we were stopped from gaining any wealth. Whereas if you were white, you were not necessarily stopped from gaining wealth it was just difficult or nearly impossible depending on your individual um situation it was difficult at at best to gain wealth but it wasn't systemically stopped from happening and that's what it took me a long time to like really figure out and it wasn't like assumed that you would be right yeah assumed that there was no method for you to do so which is what i realized after a while is like the let's let's flip it a little too is like most of the time now, because we're both in a pretty good spot, like most people who I know as successful as I am, assume I came from something successful too, yeah. with no questions asked. It's like, no, yeah. you don't understand how bad it was. Like, but and, and you've talked about this before. If you're a black person in the same situation where you're like you're successful, like, how'd you get there? That doesn't make sense. Like, wait, what the? Why? Why is there this thing? Yeah, yeah I remember right? when I was when I was abroad. I was I was over in uh, Qatar. And I was staying in the Inter- Intercontinental Hotel. It's a nice hotel. Um, and I was in a pool. And I asked this uh, this woman, like, what do you think I do for a living? She's like, construction worker. I was like, what the fuck? Are you serious? I was like, at the time, I was making a bunch of money. <laughs> I was just like, a construction worker. <laughs> like, for real? I can to stay here for this case. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I didn't build this place. <laughs> Get a discount because you were on the building crew. Yeah, yeah, I'm a highly skilled IT, IT worker. <laughs> so, but yeah, one, one more, I guess, before we move too far out of this time period, 
Um, at the time that we're kind of at right now, it's actually a little prior to this. Sorry, I was I, was, I missed a jump forward a little bit. Um, was the big Irish push in the United States too, right? And the Irish dealt with a lot of the the same kind of societal issues as they first got here with sort being forced to not be able to get jobs Italians and being too. forced to live in bad neighborhoods yeah. and being treated a certain way. Um, what do you see as correlations between those two? I wanted to kind of direct it back that way and see how what like so I know I know what I see the difference as. Um, and I was just curious if you wanted to articulate something on that topic because well, I think a lot of people a lot of times will try to then say that's not a thing because look the irish i'm like <laughs> yeah you know i'm glad you brought that up so um i was going to get into two things about that but i'll talk about like why different ethnic groups have succeeded in um america while blacks traditionally have not uh, and we'll talk about i'll talk about irish and italians especially because they were both treated like shit um, when yeah. they first got here so uh, the irish and you know uh, Italians were treated very poorly in America, basically like like a black person in America for like the longest time. Like seriously, if y'all didn't know that, you can. You, I don't have a book that I can recommend to you, but just do some research and you'll see that that's that that was the case. Um, History Channel has quite a few good documentaries on it. Yes, but the main problem was like the main reason why it wasn't so prevalent is because eventually, uh, if you were Irish or Italian, you would pass as being quote unquote white. So, especially if you didn't talk, you know what I mean? Or, and, you, and you dressed a certain way, you were good to go. Like, you could pass as, like, a normal white American as long as you didn't say shit. You know what I mean? Then you'd be, you'd be a dead giveaway if you were a new immigrant. Um, I think that is one of the main differences. It, it was very difficult to um, physically identify an Irish or an Italian out of a crowd than it was for, like, a black person or a Mexican person or something like that. And over time, um, they got... They, it was, it's called passing. They just passed as... Americans because they were like, well, you look white enough, you're good. Well, and and I think in those, so there was always that ethnic grouping kind of thing going too, which we talked about trying to have happen, but the difference being that in the occasions where a borough would be primarily Italian or primarily uh, Irish, uh, they would be allowed to be successful. Yes. We talked about not allowing that. So they would group together, they would stay strong in their community, they would grow wealth on their own and then be able to branch out. And there was never not, I won't say never, there was less uh, like issues with allowing that to happen. Um, I'm, I'm, and again, still learning more and more about this as I, as I continue to try to continue to expand my understanding of things, but like then happened more where that kind of thing was stopped than we all know about for African-Americans, it's, it's kind of insane. Native Americans too, so, and, and Asian communities had some struggles too, but um, I think theirs was, as long as you stayed in your, you know, Chinatown and your Japantown, fine, but don't, don't, don't go anywhere else. But that was not even allowed to have happen for African-Americans. So. Yeah, that's what I was, I was gonna bring up, like people, just think about it throughout, like they're like, well, why don't, you know, Asian-Americans have any issues in America? I mean, they, they do, they have issues, they just, they were allowed to be insulated. Let me ask you a question, listeners. Um, can you do you know where Chinatown is? Do you know where Japantown is? Do you know where Little Italy is? If you have any of those, if you can identify those anywhere near your community, um, cool. Those those are allowed to exist. Name to me, um, like I don't know, Blacktown. First thing I can guarantee you went to is probably a ghetto, and that's by design. That's all by design. 
it's because when you look at ghettos, if you look at um, Chinatowns and, you know, Little Italy's and, you know, Japan towns, when you go to those places, like, what do you see? You get to see their culture on full display, on full display. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's awesome. But we can't do that. Like, when we, when we did that, we got destroyed for it. And I think that, um, that trauma has been passed down through our generations to where, hey, you know, we can't, we can't stay together and thrive and be safe. Yeah, I think but, that's what people don't get. And I want to say something that's like a two-part thing too, where um, what would, if say say in the same same kind of concept, we would say where you have a little Italy or a Chinatown, and and it's the culture of their 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 ancestry that is kind of the culture of that small district. So there's something interesting to visit, do the food, and then those people bond together. It's like in the situations I've read about and like like you described earlier the those african-american communities were american culture yes right? they didn't have the ability to tie back to their historical cultures because like you talked about in the slave trade like we like the, the american slavers like severed that no you had no idea by by a couple of generations later no one knew what a lot of their culture was from africa so even if we did try to build like you said like a black town but i think like it would be africa town is like do we go back towards african culture would people who wanted to live in that area really identify with that culture very much today? And I, I would say no, not as much as, as they would identify with just being an honest, genuine, like American culture, that, 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 that history we want to teach kind of society. And it's, it baffles me that that is more scary than like really being tied to your honest, genuine culture historically. I was like, <laughs> uh, to me, it, it's like a little bit of a chuckle at how ridiculous that is. Like, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's weird. Like, we live in a, a really weird time where I like I I love being an American. I mean, yes, you know, my my culture has been has been stolen, but you know, up until recently, I was a very proud American. American, and the, like recent events are just like like America's they're going to go through some some pains for for a while, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be around for it. To be honest with you, <laughs> like here in America, but. Um, I have this whole new like renaissance in the African-American communities where people are trying to find like where they came from. And I think 23andMe and all these other, you know, um, places are like, look up your DNA, like see where you actually came from, like researching it. I think it's good for a lot of people. For me, I'm not that interested in it personally um, because I mean, I, I did my 23andMe thing. So I already know like my, my ethnic background and I've been to Africa. I'm going to go back. Um, but my whole history for the past few generations, I've been American or Caribbean, which is still the Americas. So, um, but I, I get why now, why people in America, you know, African-American people are trying to, to grab their culture back because they, they have not been, they've been living, they've been forced to live in this culture that was forced upon them. And I don't think that most Americans really seem to realize that and it's you know i feel bad that before i was just like what the fuck why why do you care about why we have made up holidays why we have kwanzaa like what the fuck but then but now i get it it's like we have it because we didn't have shit all of our stuff was stolen from us so why can't we have some of it back yeah and i think so this is a conversation i had with enrique too which is and this is kind of his perspective on it is that there's nothing wrong with knowing your culture and being proud of it too, like your, your, your history. 
as long as in the end you still remember like you're american yeah like and that is a part of being american is having this legacy of a huge difference in our our historical backgrounds but then still being able to be one unified people um and i think that instead of doing what you know we kind of need to do because all cultures need to be us versus them at some extent is instead of looking externally and and focusing it and doing a good job of it we've tried to do both at the same time like let's do us versus them externally and us versus them internally and hope that that all works out and i don't i don't understand why we're doing that yeah yeah i don't get either like the the division here in america is it's kind of insane to me it's like we, we should all be going towards a common goal but the fact that i can't there's certain common goals that i cannot abide by like if you look at the insurrection that happened you know this month mm-hmm. it's like those people they're they're insane terrorists like i would never ever agree with those people that say that same mindset so when it comes to us versus them for me that's definitely uh you know us versus them like i i cannot have you pulling in uh confederate flags into the white house i can't have you marching around with nazi equipment into the white house i can't have you storming i'm not the white house i'm sorry the the capitol building i can't have mm-hmm. you storming you know these institutions um for some bullshit like based on a lie and the fact that you're not smart enough to realize that it was all on a lie and i didn't realize you know you're the one that really convinced me that's like we really need to be a republic because basically a good portion of americans are fucking stupid as shit and they should not um have any power power yeah but and the, the fact that makes it even more pisses me off even more is that this is a good topic for this because we had all these people that were mostly white storming the Capitol, bu- storming the Capitol building. What if that would have happened during a Black Lives Matter movement? Like seriously, like if they, if those people of that same ethnic background would have stormed the Capitol building during a session, what would have happened? And if you think Wait, that, we talked about before. He shot. Yeah, they would have gotten shot. And so the fact that um, this this gets back to white supremacy, the fact that they're letting these people just do whatever the fuck they want because oh well they look like me so they must be doing but they're they're literally destroying our democracy like why are you letting them do this like stop letting the fact that they're white let them destroy things stop it well some of the some of the the arguments i hear on it right is that they're scared right so someone is afraid of for their own safety and it's like that has zero to do with someone's skin color and everything to do with their abilities anyways maybe their size like if you're just a huge dude anyways like yeah i might i might be scared of you cuz i don't know how much other skills you have so then i have to balance out my skills which i know are pretty good against your size and see if i can do that and like i know you're better at the ground grappling and stuff like that because your jujitsu experience like if we went to the ground i'm going to be scared not cuz you're black cuz you got that skill in jujitsu if i can keep you on your feet then we got a little bit of equaler, equaler game. Maybe. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah. So okay. Yeah. Uh, you know what I realized. Have to happen to you. Th- this is Special what. Episode, yeah. Subscribers. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. We'll do it. <laughs> I'll get out there and make gloves. I've, I haven't done any striking for a while. So, but I have before. Anyway. Yeah. Um, what I realized. This is this is my honest thoughts about when it comes to the fear that white America has from uh, mainly black people. Is that I think deep down in most white people's minds that have that have not put a single thought into um, the plight of African Americans is that they are scared to death that if African Americans become prominent in America, that we're going to do to them what they did to us. 
I think that's the main fear. And I can tell you those reparations. Let's say again. Extract those reparations. Yeah, yeah. But I can tell you like most of us are not interested in any of that. Like we don't we just want to live our own fucking normal lives. We're not most of us are not trying to, to, to hurt you. You know, we just want to live, you know, a normal American life, but we're being denied that. Um, a lot of us are being denied that even to this day. I, I'm not, personally. I mean, I'm living a pretty good life. Yes, I've had some racist shit happen to me, but I can just, I can march through it. Uh, but I think that I cannot ignore those that can't march through it that are behind me. Um, we, that, we talked about a few scenarios that you got into, and I know a couple others too, and it's just because we are in a good spot and are successful. Those those racist moments that I think we've talked about, and especially for a few of my friends too, like those could have meant the end of your life, right? Yeah. There. Yeah. Because of people's inability to process the situation properly. Um, have you watched the show nine one one? Uh, no, no. So it's really, it's really cool take on the, like the really big trend of like emergency services, TV shows. Um, because it kind of encompasses all of them. So you've got, it primarily starts with the 911 dispatcher where they get the call and it's like, it's just the voice message thing. Like you hear on the tape recordings later and it sounds, it, it freaks you out. You're like, oh my God, it's this situation. And it's just the person trying to like, okay, calm down and explain to me what's going on. And then they dispatch someone from the fire department or someone from the police. And like, we start to know those characters. And so there was one uh, female police officer that's like one of the main characters. Is that Angela Bassett? And, uh, What's that? Is it yes. Angela Bassett? She's fine as fuck to yes. this day. I'm just saying. Yeah. So like her <laughs> husband in one episode is driving her kids uh, um, somewhere, gets pulled over by a cop. And and so like the cops start, the two cops are, are kind of being very aggressive. It's very much a racist situation. He's like, look, I need you to, he's trying to calm them down, get them to understand. It's like, my kids are in the back of the car. Please, please, please take a breath. Because they, they were ready to like shoot him. He's standing right there. And finally get get it situation under control. He mentions that his wife's the police sergeant, and they're like, "Oh, oh, start back." I was like, yeah. "Why did it take that? Like, why did it take that?" And they still like saw his son move in the back seat finally and understood. And they and the one guy like drew down on his son in the back seat of the car. He's like, "Stop, that's my son." He like gets in front of it. It freaks you out. He's like, "I didn't think I was gonna have to have this conversation with my kids, knowing knowing who who my wife is and knowing like where I've gotten in my life, but apparently I have to." And he's like, "This is." insane and, and it like me and my wife and my daughter are all like crying because of how how emotional the whole situation was and it i think they need that more and i think that's what i'm i'm loving about where we're going with i'm calling it you know with entertainment but with with media and stuff today a lot more of it is willing to talk about it willing to address it with characters in shows that make it real because me and you talking about it and us reading a book about it and, and even watching like real historical videos until you make it like in a an interesting drama, like a TV show that draws characters in that people are wanting to watch. It's harder for a wider audience to really get that information. People don't watch documentaries. I'm a guy who watches documentaries. Nobody else does. Yeah. Like, yeah. I watch them too. So people yeah. want information. <laughs> and you can do it with real characters that people have grown and attached to. Like that's when it starts hitting. And I, I think I'm seeing that more and more and more. I'm, I'm loving it. Sorry. That was my sidebar. No, no, it's, it's good. You know, it's, it's cool because, you know, my, uh, my girlfriend, I just call my partner. Cause when I say my girlfriend, like we're going to be together for the only reason why we're not married is cause I'm not fucking doing marriage again. That's, yeah. that's it. We've been together for over 10 years. Um, mama bear still doesn't understand that. I've tried to explain it to her. I'm like, she's like, oh, I get it, but yeah, a lot of people don't, they don't, it doesn't click because yeah. we were so ingrained in America to like, just get married. I'm like, I'm not trying to lose no more money. 
Um, yeah. I anyway. just would, I just want it for your benefits that we talked about that you need, and it's, it's ridiculous you can't get those. But yeah, yeah. it's it's so dumb. But um, you know, we, we adopted a uh, a black kid. I mean, she's from the day she was born, and so she's she's browner than I am, and it's to see like you know my girlfriend really start doing research and like being like really concerned about our daughter's safety like she was just like when all this stuff started happening with like George Floyd she's like you know what um we should probably think about just like leaving America and I was just like you know what I'm fine with that cuz I don't want to even though it's, it it could this this scenario could still happen in Canada like cuz we're probably going to move to Canada but I don't, I'm not looking forward to the day to where somebody calls somebody calls my daughter the N-word. You know, because somebody's going to do it in America. Somebody's going to do it somewhere throughout our lifetime. And having to pick up the pieces with her um, is going to be difficult. And for my girlfriend as well, like, having to deal with that, it's like nobody should have to deal with that. And people just don't get how devastating it is when you're uh, an innocent kid and then somebody calls you the N-word and you have to, like, then you have to ask like what is the n-word and somebody explains it to you and it's like what the fuck like seriously and that and so when people talk about you know like racism was so you know our like slavery was such a long time ago and there's no racism today it's like bullshit like we, we all know it's nonsense because we you see it every day but you just ignore it and i think that that is one of the really pervasive things about like white supremacy here in america is that if you just ignore what's going on and you're complacent to it you literally are helping to push their agenda. And I, I didn't used to be about that, you know, that, that opinion, but it's very apparent to me now. It's like, if you see somebody getting treated a certain way, and you're just like dismissive about it. Like your, your feelings on this don't matter. It's just like, are you serious? Like, just look at, I'll give you this a small scenario. So people can say the N word, all the time and don't get me wrong like a lot of people that are black say the n-word i don't like i don't say the n-word at all all right but just imagine when people say it's just a word this is this is what really pissed me off i had a one of my best friends he was a marine too um we were hanging out and he decided to use the n-word he started calling me the n-word and i was like dude what are you doing and he was just like it's just a word i'm like yeah but it's not a word that i use like I, do i ever call you that like why are you? And then he tried to then he tried to do like this whole thing of where I'm going to try to convince you that it's okay for me to say the N word. I'm just like, that's first mm. of all no. And then I, it took me a while to like really sit down and like really think about it. There's actually a whole book on this. So I'll talk about it in a minute. But then I thought about it. It's like, listen, what if I sat down and just started calling somebody a kike? Yeah. How would like is that that's wholly inappropriate for anybody to say? But you don't see it, and you don't see that word, the K word. I guess I'll call it because I don't even like saying it. You don't see that in rap songs. You don't see it in, you know, in entertainment mediums. You don't see it as, like, it's not a term of endearment. It is a derogatory term that was used by people that killed Jewish people. And it's the same word, it, the N-word is the same kind of word that was used to kill African Americans, but for some reason, it's acceptable. And the whole excuse was, oh, well, black people use it too. Fuck, that's not an excuse to me. All right, yeah, they shouldn't be saying it, but neither should you. Like, two yeah. wrongs don't make a right. What is wrong with that's you? I was gonna say <laughs> like just because yeah because someone else does something wrong doesn't make it right for you to do it too yeah, yeah. I, and I, I would agree that that is a part of the problem and that it doesn't help the dialogue it the excessive use of a word that no one should use but it, it doesn't make it right for anybody else to use it yeah i don't i, don't, I, I wish the, the 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 name the word just didn't even exist anymore 
Because it's just... I wish there was, like, videos. Actually, no, I don't wish. It would be terrible. But there probably should be videos of, like, seeing a little kid being called the N-word for the first time. And then having to go through, like, the whole scenario of, like, a parent trying to explain to them. Or just having the actual... People know about the talk now, at least. Of, like, how you have to be, if you're black in America, you have to have a talk with your kids about how you have to, de- have, how you have to I, behave yourself. You have any, go, go ahead. There needs to be a video about it. And we've been watching WandaVision. Oh, yeah. I immediately picture, like, a 1950s infomercial version of teaching that. It's like, here's how to have this conversation with your kids. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but people, it's all black and white TV I, show. Like, most uh, people didn't yeah. even know that this even existed. That the talk yeah. even existed, but every single black person that I that I know has had this talk with their parents of like how to how to handle yourself in front of the police. You know, um, this is what you're probably going to expect when you grow up. You know, somebody's going to call you the n word. Somebody's going to they're going to look down on you for basically the rest of your entire life, and that's just the way your life's going to be. Do your best. Some people work harder. Some people will. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, rolling. Topic. Yeah, rolling forward <laughs> into yeah. more modern times. Um, the Black Panthers, um, which this is um, in the 60s, I believe. Yeah. This is an interesting topic for me, especially because both of my parents, my biological parents, who are both Black Panthers. And nice. this is how pervasive um, white, supremacy is, white supremacy and just American culture is in general. They convinced me that all Black Panthers were bad when I was growing up, knowing that both of my parents were Black Panthers. And I didn't realize that shit until like much later in life, and I actually did research on what the uh, the Black Panthers were and what they were doing, and then like how they kind of got well, they did they got they got screwed, they got killed in mass by uh, local law enforcement and the federal government, and infiltrated by the FBI. Um, the Black Panthers originally their whole mission statement was basically to help their own communities. They they would feed people that were that were hungry, they would educate the children. Um, they would have all these other local programs that are basically made to uplift their communities. Are you seeing a common theme here? Do you know where the end's going to be? <laughs> like, when we try to help ourselves, bad things happen. So um, there was a whole, a whole slew of uh, police brutality in, uh, I think it was Oakland, California. And so this is where um, the Black Panthers started because they had, I forget the guy's name. This is gonna, somebody's going to get very angry with me listening to this. I should have wrote this down. It's not, it wasn't on my list to talk about this, but I, I forgot. Um but it was a lawyer who was actually reading the laws and was like, well, the Second Amendment can protect us from carrying our own firearms, protect us from the police, from police brutality, because we're getting beat up and, you know, or killed by the police, and we need to be, we need to be able to protect ourselves. So what they started doing was open, open carrying in California to protect others and themselves in community. So anytime they saw police, they would literally open carry and follow them to make sure that they were actually abiding by the laws and not just doling out police brutality. And so when they saw a policeman pull over somebody that was black, they would literally roll up on them. They wouldn't commit any violence, but they would just open carry around them and make sure that mm-hmm. they know that, hey, if something happened, you know, the threat was there. The threat, there was a, de- yeah, there was definitely a threat of violence. Were you thinking Bobby Seal or Huey P. Newton? I think it was Huey Newton was okay. the was a lawyer i think yeah. october 1966 was when they first basically got started yeah and then they went to um the the main reason why they got into this is actually an nra story as well interesting story is that um the black panthers went to sacramento to the state capitol to protest something i can't remember exactly what they were protesting but as they were walking up the steps to the state capitol they um ronald reagan was there 
And so Ronald Reagan was like, what are these guys doing over there? Like, they have got all these guns. So there was like a whole bunch of photos of Ronald Reagan talking with the Black Panthers as they're opening and carrying. And, oh, they were protesting because they were going to pass a law um, that would make it so open carrying was illegal. And so mm. this is where the NRA was like, hold on, what is going on here? Like, they're going to make open carrying illegal? And so this is mm. when the NRA started first getting into politics is when they saw what happened um, with the backlash of the Black Panthers and the open carrying. Before that, um, the NRA was basically just a gun club. They weren't in politics at all. And then where are we sitting today with gun laws in California? Yeah, they're terrible and they're stupid. If you look up what an assault rifle is, um, by the state definition, it's ridiculous. It just makes the gun more controllable. It doesn't make it any more deadly. <laughs> like, um, so when we talk about the... Uh, the so. The Black Panthers got dismantled through uh, Richard Nixon, basically, through his administration. And they figured out a way to, um, first of all, um, infiltrate the Black Panthers using the FBI. And then they figured out how to dismantle them through um, local laws, which is basically the um, no open carrying. And you can only own certain sorts of firearms. And then you also couldn't um, uh, conceal carry. So basically, you couldn't have a firearm on your person anywhere outside your home. Um, in California, unless it was like locked up in a case or something like that, which is defeats the purpose if you're defending yourself. Um, and then they also figured out that um, a lot of uh, black people in general were smoking cannabis, and so were hippies. And so that's where the the whole notion of the of the drug war first came out was from uh, the the Nixon administration. But it got amped up even more during uh, Ronald Reagan's administration, where they actually started the actual drug war. Which is where they would put you put throw people in you know prison for getting high, taking drugs, owning drug paraphernalia, all that stuff. And both of us grew up through this through this era, you know, through the Dare era. Yeah. And it's funny because to me, Dare actually told me what drugs were and what they did. I had no idea before Dare. And I don't have an issue with an education about the fact that drugs exist. These are the things that they will do and could mess up your life. If you make the choice to do so, you're choosing to take specific risks and potentially impact your your future. But like making it a felony is, I don't know. We, we've talked a little bit about it too, but I'm a libertarian and my position on it is as long as you're not hurting someone else, I don't care. I'm of the same opinion. Um, and with the, uh, the drug war, um, what this basically meant was in reality is that it was going to put a lot of people that were um, minorities in jail for taking drugs. And especially when they had laws that are specifically created to make it, um, they basically made these racist, there were racist laws, racist drug laws. So if you look at crack versus cocaine, um, if you were caught with an ounce of crack or with an ounce of cocaine, um, usually if you were poor uh, and brown, you would have crack. And if you had money, you would have cocaine because cocaine was more expensive. But for some reason, the drug does basically the same thing. But if you were caught with crack, the the sentence was 10 times more than it was thing with cocaine. And they knew that. And so this is how you got a lot of... Um, this started this whole mass incarceration movement and the new Jim Crow in America was the start of the drug war because they were just putting people in jail in droves for just um, being in possession of uh, certain drugs or, well, any drugs, really. And there's really no need for it. And they would, put him in, they would put him in jail for longer, depending on what kind of drug you had, which is kind of, it's, it's stupid. And they would also um, crack down on certain areas uh, in, you know, in cities. So as an example, 
Do you think there's any more or less drug usage in Compton than there is in Beverly Hills when it comes to kids? No. Or it, uh, just in general. In general. In general, no. There's not. But it, it can make it seem like there's more drug usage in Compton if I crack down on drugs in Compton. If I don't enforce the same drug laws in Beverly Hills, then it would seem like there's way less drugs in, in Beverly Hills. And when you look well, at... And if, and if the most common drugs available in a specific area are felonies and the ones in certain areas are not, then it doesn't become a bunch of felonies. It's minor possession stuff. So Exactly. So this is where, like, this is how you have laws that are essentially racist laws because you're literally targeting certain communities rather than others and it's and it's wrong and you have things like the three strikes law where basically if you mm -hmm. committed uh you know three strikes you know three different sometimes they're not even felonies sometimes it can be certain kind of misdemeanors you get thrown in jail for life for life I think, yeah i think it was like so it should be I think it's like a building thing, isn't it? Where it's like three misdemeanors equals felony. You're going to jail for felony charges based on the fact that you had misdemeanors. Yeah, because they, they can compound. And sometimes you can get three strikes in like a very short amount of time based upon. So they can they can nab you for one thing, but then charge you with three felonies. So, yeah. so like say, say, yeah, say if you had like drugs and then you had a gun and then you did something else that was also a felony, then th there uh, you go. Uh, yeah, then you're, you're totally fine. So... Go ahead. I was thinking of this a minute ago and like so we had legal drugs right at the time we decided to crack down this we allowed alcohol and we allowed tobacco yep let's think about it so we tried to get rid of alcohol in the 20s right but then that didn't work very well no. for for what reason do we usually cite the the prohibition stuff not working like what is the reason we think people said okay never mind we're not gonna do prohibition Actually, I have no idea why they, why they. Most most commonly attributed is that it got so violent, right? Like everybody was like, "Hell no!" And there's like blood everywhere. People are people are carrying it anyways and drinking it anyways. But now that I think more about it too, is every historical thing I've ever seen about it is who's producing the moonshine, who's making the alcohol and selling it and uh, making money off it. Yeah. Who's making it. Yeah. Who's making tobacco? Who's growing? Who's growing it? Who has all the farms? Who had all the plantations? who had the industry capability to keep those laws from being made. Yeah. So now suddenly, <laughs> like it literally was like, holy crap. Yeah. Mind blown. Well, especially with, because all the rest of it, it's not so concentrated except for like your example, potentially cocaine. And then it's counted in like this other category where it's like, well, it's not really so bad. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think they expected everybody during prohibition to stop drinking. But when they saw that nobody stopped drinking, you know, and especially it. So with alcohol, especially like if you get caught drinking and driving, like it's it's very easy to tell. <laughs> you know, it's very easy to tell. And you, if you, especially this is the problem. This is how you know laws are racist, and and how you know um, there's a serious problem with race with um, law enforcement. Did you know that you are more likely to get pulled over if you're black during the daytime than at night? More time. <laughs> I can see why. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You can't see anybody. Anymore, yes. Anyways. Yes. And so it's the same thing that happens. Like if you're, if you're drinking and driving at night, um, they can't tell who the fuck is actually driving until they pull yeah. them over. And then it's at that point, it should be elementary. It's too late. You're drinking and driving. I don't care what, you know, what your skin tone is. You're going to jail. So. 
I would be really interested to see the statistics, like cut all the daytime stuff out and literally just look at like um, pullovers and arrests at night while driving, like just those numbers and see if they're like literally match like population numbers. Yeah. Areas. Somebody has done I it. I got to pull it up. But yeah, there, there is definitely studies on that. And it's, it's very <laughs> and then if startling. Daytime, like, there's like, yep. just <laughs> it flips around. Um, it's, it's pretty crazy. So yeah, the, the whole cracking down poor neighborhood, poor neighborhoods thing is like a serious issue. Cause I, and it's also, it also comes down to like, when you look at poor communities, um, when they're cracking down on, on stupid things like loitering and, you know, being drunk in public and all this other stupid bullshit, but it's like, you're also not giving, um, and truancy, especially truancy, you're not giving, uh, these communities don't have anything else to do because like I said before, in the red line districts, they are missing all of these community things that people take for granted. There's no parks there. There are no libraries. There's no grocery stores. There's no, um, there's not a whole lot of anything to do. So like if you're poor and you don't got nothing to do, like what are you supposed to do? And then you're getting cracked down on by local law enforcement. Um, it, it, it's basically, it's a recipe for a disaster that's still happening to this day. And there are ways out of it. But I think that most of America, most of America is not willing to um, tolerate it. And I, it goes back to white supremacy because they want to feel like, they want to feel comfortable in the homes that they're in. And they know, like, back in, you know, the redlining days, they uh, there was whole campaigns on talking about how if you had black people in your community, that we would, we would bring crime into your community. But that is not what happened. Um, usually, usually when black people can afford to buy a house in a white neighborhood, they're way above board. Way above board. Um, they're not bringing crimes into neighborhoods, but they were convinced... Um, through a variety of tactics um, that black people make crime. So you can literally, if you, if you read the, the Color of Law, there are statistics out there where if you had a, um, a, a traditionally white community, once you got over a certain percentage of minorities, there would be what's called white flight, and then everybody in that white community would just leave. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, it, there, there wouldn't even be an ounce of additional crime, but everybody would just leave. And it still happens, you know, to this day. Like there's times where people just like there's too many minorities people will, will tend to move out um, and it's it's crazy to me and it's it's insane that people still don't realize that this is still an issue and they don't want to talk about it so go ahead go ahead no no you're good I was trying to look something up uh, I didn't really find it so was, keep going yeah so um, when we talk about all these things that have happened to you know especially well to African Americans reparations usually comes up like how do we fix this um and so when 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 i first heard about reparations i was just like no i mean you know i was the same mindset it was a long time ago like why would we you know like the damage has been the damage has been done you know blah 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 blah. stupid mindset people our society has convinced me that it was not worthy of fighting for um i have since totally changed my opinion on this but i'm not probably not to the extent that most people were thinking I'm just going to, before I, I talk about my thoughts on reparations, I want to let people know that reparations is not some new fucking idea. It's not some new idea. I'll give you some examples of when reparations were paid out. And I'll give you probably the number one example. It was not American, but it's probably the, the largest one. It was during the Holocaust. All right, the Holocaust, Germany paid, the, Germany and the world paid so many reparations to, to, um, to Jewish people. Um, it's, it's kind of unprecedented. 
they, they literally got their own nation from um, after the Holocaust. That was a reparation. Um, up until I think it was 20, 2014, uh, Germany agreed to pay an, adi- an additional. They've already paid out reparations to Jews um, since World War II. In 2014, they paid an additional $7 billion to Israel and to, the Jewish, and to various Jewish communities to fix the damage that has been done to, to, to Jewish people. So this is not new. I'll give you a couple of examples. What are you thinking about something? Go ahead. So I was gonna, I was gonna kind of make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so I was watching this, um, this really cool show um, hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson, and he brings in two comedians and two scientists to talk about a scientific topic that these guys are really good at. But to keep it lighthearted and fun, oh, he brings the two comedians. I in. used to watch that show. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And I was watching it, and uh, and then in the audience was Bill Nye. Nice. So then he brings, he's like, Bill, get up, get up here. So he puts Bill in between the two because Bill's kind of a scientist and kind of a stage guy. So he's like, you can kind of fit into both groups. So something came up in their discussion because I believe they were talking about like um, the way the brain works and um, psychology and a couple other things. And they talked about how there was this IQ study conducted and that like that acidic Jews specifically had this like really high number and then that they're also very successful. It's like these kind of trying to correlating basically your ability to start from a good spot and then develop this really high IQ. And so you have two, two, two pretty well-off comedian actors, Bill Nye and two very good scientists. And then Neil deGrasse Tyson It's like, wait, hold on just for a second. How many here are, are Jews? And like all, but like one, <laughs> just Neil. And like one other dude got up and was like, like everybody in, in show business is Jewish. Like what is the deal? <laughs> yeah. It's like potentially because they had the ability to start from something better because, you know, we had, we, I say, these reparations had to be paid and it hits their whole community and they take care of each other and let them get to somewhere better because they went through something so terrible. So anyways, it was kind of a funny anecdote, but I was like, maybe they got there because they had these, these reparations that let them get started and get somewhere. Yeah, no, it's a, that's a really good point to bring up because there literally is correlation between um, the abundance and scarcity of mindset and IQs. And also um, just there's an actual correlation on if you're hungry or not and losing IQ. And that's important because you have these poor communities uh, where they have these underfunded schools where they rely on um, on school lunches and sometimes they take those school lunches away. And it's also in poor communities where um, these kids are not being fed enough. They're, they're literally not being fed enough to fucking think mm-hmm. properly. And this is why this is another additional reason why you have um, lower scores in these schools is because they, they just don't have enough nutrition to fuel their to fuel their brains. And again, yeah, and then- it's true like so i have to say too like i have having those resources available especially talking about school meals available for especially underprivileged schools but having it as a program is a huge deal uh, as we talk past needing it but if we're going to be building those things and developing in that way and taking the money for these taxes to build these programs but like i was able to get completely free meals at the school basically because of the income that we had. So I was, my breakfast was at school. My lunch was at school. And, you know, I had to then wonder if I was going to get a third meal that day basically and made yeah. that work. And that's like ultimate scarcity. You know, it's like, if you don't know where your next meal is <laughs> going to come from, it's like, dude, y- your brain is just like, I don't know. I don't know how much I'm going to learn, but we're definitely going to try to survive, you know? <laughs> so I think that's what people knowing just- that I wanted to get good grades too. I actually decided to take an extra class during lunch. So then I didn't get to have lunch. So wow. I was only eating yeah. yeah, that's crazy, man. 
But yeah. Any, anyway, um, so apartheid was paid out in uh, in South South Africa. Okay. I don't have the actual. I don't have the, the numbers on that one. Um, I don't have the numbers on the next one as well. But this this is coming to America, which is important because people think that oh, well, America has never paid reparations out. Yes, the fuck we have, multiple times. All right. Um, the Japanese internment in America. America paid um, Japanese Americans for being for throwing them in internment camps during uh, World War II. So we made cash payments to that. Um, if you looked at there was a forced, this is probably most people don't even realize that this happened, but there was forced sterilization on poor African-American women up into, it was, it was abolished in 1983. In 1983, that's when it was abolished. Think about that. That was during my lifetime. Yeah, we were born. Yeah. <laughs> we were and, both born. And they were still sterilizing African-American women. There was reparations paid out for that. The reparations paid out during, for the Tuskegee, Tuskegee experiment, which is still going on to this day, um, there were almost 400 African-American males that were unknowingly infected with the syphilis um, STD and they were studied to see like what would happen to them. And so um, the government got together and they're still paying out uh, payments to people that were affected by that experiment. And then also Rosewood, which was in, I believe it was in Florida. It was, uh, the town was destroyed in 1923 during the race riots and reparations were made in 1994. So when we talk about, rep- go ahead. Was there never one for the Greenwood district when we talked about that? That has never. They did one for this town in Florida, but not for the Greenwood one. No, they didn't pay out. There was a whole bunch of them that happened. They didn't pay out, pay out for. Whole just, bunch. Th- that's one we talked about earlier. So I was just like, wait. So you just mentioned one, and that's the only one. No, yeah, no. There was way more. There was like, there was. I'll put it in the in the link, but there was lo- there was way more than you think. I think it was like, at least twenty, probably more than that, of towns that were mm-hmm. just utterly destroyed and looted. Um, and burned to the ground. So, yeah. So I did look this up for you. So South Africa's uh, apartheid reparations was eighty-five million total to more than nineteen thousand victims, and they got three thousand nine hundred dollars each. Yep. So it it is not some strange um, idea. It's not a radical idea. It is a way for it's a way to help heal a community that has been affected by um, egregious injustices, and. I think that something should be done. Do I think that we should all get 40 acres in a, in a mule? No, because that's ridiculous. But I think that there are some ways that we could have reparations. One of the main ones that I think that should happen at minimum is that we should fund inner city schools at the same funding levels as their white counterparts. So if you look at a suburban school and they look at an inner city school, they need to have the same amount of funding. Like that's at a basic level. We should all have the same basic educational needs met and um that's just 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 a a start another one that um the writer of the color of law had came specifically through redlining and the way that uh, african-americans could not gain wealth through homes and his idea was there were multiple um towns and specific housing developments where african-americans were denied owning those homes and they were sold to only white people and so his idea was once those homes came back on the once those homes came back on the market that the US government should buy those homes and then set the market value at what the market value was when they were originally sold during the time of redlining. So if it was fucking $55,000, you know, then they would get sold for $55,000 only to American descendants American descendants of slaves. And so I thought I mean it's kind of a semi radical idea, but at this point in time a lot of people in America are are not going to be able to catch up 
in any reasonable amount of way if we keep going down our current system. Um, and, and, and also having um, that the housing issue, like it, it also help to get people that are stuck in poor communities, leave those poor communities and actually live a normal American life rather than living in these, you know, these terrible communities that end up getting gentrified anyway, you know? Yeah, I mean, so like, I feel like if there were, for one, like you, you mentioned redlining and it's still an issue with gerrymandering for the districts. So to me, that would be a, you know, from my mindset, it's always looking for the, like the governmental slash political structure solution. Like that's gotta be one of them, right? That the, the district lines need to not be drawn in a way that forces that so that then those communities get underrepresented so that then they don't have the opportunity to have their voice heard to try to make these fixes happen for their communities. Um, there should also just be basic standards for certain population densities requiring a certain amount of parks and a certain amount of um, grocery stores. Like, I don't feel like you should have to regulate that. That's that just based on the market. But like, is it being restricted from being there? Whatever it is that's causing it to become the, the food desert, then figure out, figure out ways to remove that. Um, yeah, what I would like to see too is is even if it is dollar amount straightforward kind of thing, um, even if we did that, because I don't know that that's the right solution. Like we said, like is is just giving money to people the right answer, but it should be paired with some kind of a community engagement projects, some kind of a thing where if the goal of it, which is what I think we both agree it is, is to like heal the wound that is caused by this historical event that set us on this path, right? It can't just be money. Yeah. Money doesn't fix that kind of a problem. People fix those kinds of problems. So it'd be like forcibly establishing these relationships somehow. <laughs> like you can, ha you can, you can both get some money, but you have to hang out and be friends. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know, well, <laughs> I don't know how to do it. Well, it was like something that I, I think I mentioned on Facebook the other day, but it's like, it, it's difficult or impossible to legislate um, humanity. I mean, like you can't, how do you legislate somebody from not being an asshole? You know what I mean? And, and that's Most what, are yeah. And it's just like so many people, you know, today they just, they don't want to do any sort of research to really see why people are poor in America and why they're struggling and why, like, so like when somebody says, you know, a, a statement like, Oh well, um, the reason why there's so many black people in jail is because they're committing all the crime. I'm like, okay, well, what crimes are they committing? Can you can you tell me what crimes they're committing? Guess what? It's not what you're thinking. It's not violent crime. The vast majority of people in jail are there for non-violent crimes and they're drug crimes. Very few people are actually in jail for violent crimes. But what people going in jail will almost certainly guarantee is that they're going to go back to jail because they're going to be poor after that. Unless you have a, uh, unless you didn't come from a previously poor community, like once you go to prison, you, you're pretty much screwed for the rest of your life. Especially when you have to uh, check the box where you know did you uh, commit a felony. You check yes, your um, employment opportunities are vastly diminished, vastly diminished. And then so if you happen to, and if you can't find a job, what are you gonna do? What are you supposed to do? you have to make money right in America to like live. So it makes you get back onto the whole, well, now I have to commit some sort of crime to make money so I can live. And they commit a crime. 
then you go back to jail. So this is the whole like cycle of suck for most people that have been to jail or prison. I forget the the jail is the one where you go to temporarily. I think prison is the one where you go for a long time. The worst one is yeah, the one jail, I'm thinking of. Smaller, yeah, prison is long term. Yeah. But yeah, people don't. You can go to jail for a while. It just usually is a smaller crime, never more than like a month. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking like prison, prison. And I prison. think people they, they don't put in the the thought process into thinking like, why are people actually going to jail, and for what? Yeah. You know, people be people people have gone to jail, for basically just being poor. A lot of people go to jail for, um, not having a license, you know, yeah. and then not being able to pay their their parking tickets. It's just it's, it's being. You're basically being thrown in prison for being poor, and that should be illegal. I mean, there's got to be other ways you can figure out how to get somebody a goddamn license rather than throwing them in prison. Because guess what? In prison, they're definitely getting a license. <laughs> so, and when they get out, they still won't have a license. Guess what? They still have to make a living. And if you're in a poor and community, yeah, and, and if you're in a poor community, guess what? Your job is probably going to be nowhere near you, and you might not have a bus route that goes to where you live to where your job might be. And people, they don't want to put into that thought into that stuff at all you know yeah i wonder how oregon is handling the the like release of anybody who was imprisoned on drug charges and then what they're doing with those records too because my thought would be if i was the person there in oregon as a governor or you know someone who was a part of that was if the goal was to decriminalize the just generic usage right which is what the wording was like th those people should be released who were imprisoned for small possession charges or for usage charges or for anything that is just just usage not driving under the influence or you know endangering other people because of it um but then like do they still have a record that says that was a felony can you remove that too like shouldn't shouldn't that go away so that then they have the potential to maybe be successful after that well let me blow your mind even more so if, if you're thrown in prison for drug usage and on your resume you can have a huge hole in your resume, if if you had a resume, so that that's a huge problem that most people are probably even thinking about. It's just like, whatever skills you had, they they probably are a little stale, at best. Um, mm -hmm. At worst, somebody's gonna read your resume and be like, "Where where have you been for the past four years? Why do you have no job?" And what do you say to that? A, a lot of people, and this is what again, same people probably who are saying like they're doing all the crimes, but most most of the time, someone who does, and this is the this the a study I actually read not too long ago. Most of the people who go to prison for a long time on a felony type charge based on a small possession drug charge, which is not an insignificant number of people, it's a lot. Yeah. Actually do actually spend a lot of time improving themselves. So they'll earn an associate's degree in something or get a get a skills trade certification or earn bachelor's degrees and stuff. Like there was a dude that earned his law degree while in prison in order to then eventually practice law when you get out was the idea but it's like he was mostly doing it obviously to try to see if he could figure out how to prove that his case was kind of stupid but i i think that there would be opportunity especially if if the if the state has decided and that they built a process to take care of it to get those people back into society and working so yeah that's what we should want right we should want more people working and contributing to society right well i mean even beyond that i mean yes I, I would like those people to be you know rehabilitated and put back into society in a meaningful way to to contribute back to society but i also think that our current prison system um when it comes to even um if we made all drug laws legal and so say we're just stuck with basic laws like um 
crimes of violence and wronging other people like theft and stuff like that. Our current prison system is not just when it comes to that. It's really not. So what we currently what currently happens is if somebody uh, you know assaults someone or does something even worse than that, you know murder or rape or something like that, or they steal from them or whatever, you know they, they go to jail for a while, um, and then once they go to jail or I'm sorry to prison, they immediately remove them from the person that they have wronged, okay, or the family that they have wronged, and there is little to no um, sort of healing or any sort of like reparations that are paid to the victims uh of those crimes and i don't understand why we if, if we're supposed to be a re rehabilitation like just throwing somebody in the box it to me it's not really that meaningful you're, yes you're punishing them but what are you doing for the victims mm -hmm. like why 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 aren't we making sure that the person that committed those crimes are not actually doing any are, are not doing something to to help heal the life of their victims and i'm not saying go out there and like cut their lawn or something like that or you know do something else but there should be something more meaningful that the per that person can do to actually repay the person that they have wronged and it's not in a box well i mean i don't know i don't know that i've ever heard this before but i just don't know that there would be for in, in a lot of cases victims aren't going to want to have anything to do with that person sometimes they just want them out of their life yeah sometimes it's totally true but at the same time it's like what so say if somebody what's the monetary value on somebody getting murdered does when to you throw, the rest of the family that survives yeah they're not getting like so if somebody murders somebody and they get thrown in jail do they when they're in jail or i'm sorry in prison are they working towards repaying that family in any sort of way even monetary no. Does that even happen? No. So, like, our current prison system has, li like, literally no value to the victim, rather, other than the person is put away. But I'm yeah. like, that's, yeah, I guess, but, like, what the fuck? Like, you were wrong. We're supposed to feel good because they're getting punished. That's, yeah. That's what the system says. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that part of the system to me, like, that recently got brought up to me. There, there is a, um, a YouTube channel called That Dang Dad, and it's by <laughs> a, yeah, it's, it's a funny name, but he was a former, I didn't know he was a former cop up until like a recent, an episode like a couple months ago. And he talked about being like a former cop and like the messed up stuff that he did. And like, he's, he's totally on the whole, I'm um, a the police side um, now, but he goes through like um, a logical process on like alternatives to, to prison and stuff like that. And he got me on to like, yeah, like what is, why aren't we compensating the victims of this? Like, why Why is all the, the slave labor of this individual that committed a crime, why is all that going back into our society and not the person that was wronged? It's not even going back to our society. It's just going back into, like, basically the government or yeah. private institutions or, you know, you know, you know what I mean. But it's like, why is the other person that's been wronged not getting anything? It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, I mean, that's it's a really good concept I've never even heard addressed before I, and... It's definitely something I would like to explore more. So. Yeah, yeah, check out his uh, his whole, like, he does, I think he has, like, three really good videos on, first, his, him being a cop and, like, his, um, his honest thoughts on being a police officer and, like, he, he regrets it, him being a cop. Damn, Damn you're tired, huh? <laughs> yeah. Also, it's all good, man. And then he talks about um, abolishing the police on, like, 
and when he says abolish the police, he actually gives like really valid, valid reasons. Whether you believe the guy or not, it's fine. But he gives valid reasons on, on uh, abolishing the police, um, which I think is a terrible name for. It should be redistributing um, local money towards other meaningful community projects. Um, and then there was another one he did about like how we currently um, our current police, our current prison system. I think it was. But there were three really good videos on it, and I was just like, it was blowing my mind. Hmm. Do you want to take a quick break? Can you grab a new drink? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. All right, be right back. Sure, I will too. <laughs> but I was thirsty too. I was dry mouth. <laughs> yeah, I was like, and I think yawning was like my reaction to like, I normally want to be sipping, and so I was like, uh. yeah. I was parched. <laughs> we were talking. You were talking a lot. Yes, yes, I was. I needed more sip. So yeah, what are you, what are your thoughts on like what I talked about? Um, is there anything else you wanted to bring up? The one one thing I was thinking about as I was considering our topic for today, and knowing that this is supposed to be mostly you kind of delivering, and then. My, my part of how we do this deal is kind of ask questions um, and think about what I feel like my gaps are and see if you can help me fill them in. So I would like to discuss defining racism, like a words by words definition. Like what should, if I flipped up in like an encyclopedia to look up what it is, right? Because an issue I faced at first was you know, my perspective for a long time, and I and I still have a hard time not immediately thinking it, is that, you know, racism is judging anyone based on the color of their skin instead of on the the depth of their character or whatever that phrase is, you know, that 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 definition of it. Yes. And I am not entirely convinced that it is the definition I have told quite a few times recently, which is that it can only be from white people to black people is racism that's the only way it works yeah so i am uh, definitely not of the mind of power plus what was it there's like some new definition of it which i don't yeah, agree with more. which basically means white people only can be racist which is yeah. nonsense because i know i know plenty of racist black people have plenty of racist you know people of other ethnic backgrounds like it exists but the problem is that they will come back with which just has some validity is can that racist person affect the lives of that other person but I will counter with and can you do anything with your racism really like yes if you can't you don't what is what's the point of that right? but it's also can some poor racist white guy affect your life as well the answer is no but there are racist there are definitely white supremacist racist um systemic problems in America that definitely do push a white agenda yep. like in an only white agenda I don't think there's any real argument there but so then and what I thought of and I wanted to say, so if it was like we include something about either like it being a forced perception or a constructed perception, right, where it's it's this thing that's kind of pushed on us. Um, and that's the systemic part, right? It's this it's this thing that and you ha it's a learned behavior. Right? Yeah. Racism is 100 percent a learned behavior. Children do not know to be racist yes. uh, at any, any measure. So like some kind of inclusion of it being either like a forced perception or 
or a learned behavior, or I want something like that included in this definition that we kind of come up with for racism. Well, I think I think it already kind of exists. If we think about it. So if I talk about systemic racism, mm-hmm. the system that we're talking about, it, it is pushing an agenda. I think that's what most people are referring to, and I think that that term is is pretty spot on um, when it comes to explaining what most people think about when they come to like a system actually oppressing people. So that specifically is a is a term that. I kind of, I think it's appropriate when we talk about systemic, because yeah, you can have racists, but racists don't really matter to most people, right? Because you can, if somebody calls you, you know, some derogatory term, you just tell them to fuck off. But if a system is telling a police officer that it's okay for you to police me more based on the color of my skin, that's the problem. That's systemic racism because the system has it built in. And, and like, it's a... You know, and that and that police officer is being taught to, to look that way and think that way and like address it, you know, in that manner, in a lot of cases too. Where, and not not like it's in a manual, and you read the rules and it tells you to go do that, but it's behavior driven, right? We're we're kind of we're social animals, and so if that's what everybody's telling me, then I'll be a little more cautious, and I'll be a little more cautious, and and then suddenly it's now it's persecution of a specific group of people. Yeah, because when they talk about, when you look at a lot of police training, it's like, do you feel threatened? Well, for some people, they feel threatened by black people. You know, a lot of them, they feel threatened just based upon the color of their skin because they've been told growing up that black people are supposed to be a certain way. We commit more crimes, we're more violent, um, we're animalistic, we're going to rape your women. Like, all this shit still is perpetuated, you know, to this day. And that puts, that instills fear in people's hearts. And so when somebody feels threatened for innocuous things like reaching for my wallet when you ask me for my fucking wallet and then you shoot me for reaching for my wallet you know it's like people just like oh that's not racist well mm, come on i mean if it was a person that was white that reached for their wallet it's probably not likely to get shot so um yeah i think it's i mean you're right I, i don't like i said i don't like the the term of like the whole power versus the power of whatever new definition is but i think that Systemic racism, that that def, that phrase is more valid. Yeah, and that was because I hear it and I, I, I understand the logic there, right? And I'm a very logical person, so I'm like, I get what you're saying, but I can't get 100% behind it either. So I've, I've struggled with trying to figure out a way for me to, me and my logical you know, brain to define what I know that they're trying to say in the same construct that i also look at it from like a social political standpoint of how do i make it meet both requirements and say it's it's this it's you know society that's teaching us to to behave this way yeah it means we can we can unlearn it right if 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 it's a learned behavior you can choose to do something differently um and so i i want i don't know that's why i was i thought about it for since since we i readdressed it the other day i was like what are we gonna talk about again and uh, that's the one thing that kept ringing back up in my head was like, I'd really love to not feel lost when someone says, you know, you're racist, but then it's, it's only okay to say that if you're telling a white person that they're being racist against the white person. Like there are a lot of other nuances to this. And I don't think that that fairly captures the dialogue and it will help us heal from it either. Cause like, that's, that's not what we need to talk about. We need to talk about how this happens and how we fix it. And, no, I mean, yeah. you, you bring up, no, like you're, it's not confusion per se, 
but it's just like it's a hard concept to really understand like it, there's like a logical leap you have to take right and it takes like listen i'm fucking 41 years old now um i started kind of figuring this out um like a year or two ago you know and it takes it's not something that overnight this uh, is going to click and that's perfectly fine if a black guy can't do it in you know 30 plus years then i don't expect somebody else that doesn't experience what i what i've went through to get it you know through one conversation either um there is a book um that's sort of controversial that might help um if you're listening to this podcast and you are white or at least appear to be white because i know you are not but mm-hmm. you appear to be so yeah. um there's a, a book called white fragility that yeah. is actually it's a pretty good book i mean i read it i understand it's controversial people got mad at her for writing it it's a white chick that wrote it but um things that she says in that book um the way that uh people have reacted to certain things um are totally valid like i, I i'm definitely i was I'm listening to this book i'm like i've seen these things happen to me and i've seen white people try to do these things and i'm just like wow like she and she lays out exactly at least her thoughts on why they are doing those things and the perfect example is like my friend wanted to use the n-word and me being like no can you not do that and him getting mad and then trying to trying to basically mansplain to me <laughs> like why he should be able to use it i'm just like no nah, man like this is not cool like if, if a friend of yours asks you not to call them something don't do it or we're, we're not friends i guess i mean because you don't you don't um respect me as a person yeah <laughs> it's kind of the same topic we had the other day too where talking like the gender gender thing if i don't know you and we're not friends yet and i use what i assume to be a proper gender pronoun and you say uh no i i would prefer it if you refer to me this way okay cool like i didn't know i apologize and you move forward using the pronoun that they prefer because if you are having a conversation you clearly are working to establish a relationship whether it's professional or just courtesy like and humans should extend that courtesy to each other the the i don't give a fuck about your feelings mentality is like only can go so far it shouldn't go so far as to like be every single interaction you have with every other human like that's not yeah it's not gonna work yeah it's i mean throughout human history like we, we are we are designed to be social people and we need help from others like there i mean very few people on this planet especially americans have the skills to make it on their own all right let's just be honest like you're not out there killing your own fucking meat you know you're not out there building your own house you know you rely on others to 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 provide for you you know and you provide for others let's just recognize that (laughs) this isn't the Oregon trail yeah if it was you die of dysentery exactly that's a great joke man never gets old (laughs) yeah yeah i think this Uh, is a pretty good you got good no good good i was saying that was just kind of my my one thought i really had um prior to it um i was trying to see if there was something else while we went that i had a thought on but i wanted you to finish what you just said no i mean like a a lot of the books that i that i mentioned on here definitely does help kind of bridge some gaps um of knowledge another one that has to do with um just the african-american experience as far as like us trying to migrate away from uh, slavery from the South um, is called the warmth of other, the warmth of other suns, and it follows three different African Americans leaving the South to come to the North, and some of them go back to to the South and then come back up, and then some of them you know have good times and bad, um, but there are three vastly because like one of them is like a doctor, so like his experience, and he's like a rock star, 
and so his experience is vastly different from the other ones um i think it's it's cool to like see what life was like for african americans back then and like what they really went through um after like after slavery occurred and how it was not like just because i think that most people in america have this weird notion that after slavery end shit was awesome for black people like no it wasn't that's why we had the civil rights movement you know and and that's why we're still having you know like uh, black lives matter like black lives matter didn't happen um out of nowhere you know it happened because we had people that fought for the civil rights movement we had concessions made but we're still dealing with the same issues literally the same issues they're they're um there's this guy is it michael malice i forget his name but there was a former um baltimore police officer who um he quit because he was, he was a dirty cop and he knew he was dirty but he said that he was busting all these black kids for like the same crimes and then he went back and looked through like there was like a record book that they had um for like crimes and like where they police crimes for that police department and he looked at it and he was like i'm literally doing exactly what they were doing 60 years ago i'm busting the same exact crimes in the same exact corners like why am i doing this like why are we all perpetuating this this system of oppression on, on this on these groups of people like for what and so he quit and like just kind of exposed like this whole system he's been on like uh joe, Rogan, joe rogan's podcast a couple times hmm. he's a he's a good i forget his name though i think it's not michael malice give me a second can you bullshit for a minute uh, um, so I guess one of the um, we'll we'll get you to the chance to like actually tell me the name of that book. I think probably my next question would be that what do you think about how like because I would assume that as we put people in in positions like public authority figures um, that are African American that that would start to move us towards understanding as a society that this should be not a thing like we can all achieve these things so having Barack Obama as president current vice president do you see those as things that should be helping us go forward and then how did we get from Obama to, to what happened over the last like year no so I don't think it it helps um okay on, to be honestly blunt um this this is what um this is what I woke up to is that I was like you know what I did good why can't everybody else do good? That is the stupidest fucking, th- one of the stupidest thoughts I've ever had in my entire life. Just because I did good doesn't mean that everybody else that looks like me has the same opportunities yeah. that I that I did. I it, guess more I meant, so for, for that to, again, my perspective on it would be, look at that. We, sh- we, we can all agree that that is a pretty amazing thing, but I guarantee that like that perspective that I have is not what a lot of people had. No. Right? So that no. what I say was like seeing it happen should have made people realize we we're moving past things that they probably thought. And um, I don't think it did that. No. Well, there's a, my honest thoughts on this. So when we talk about, I'll give Barack, Barack Obama for example. Um, when he got elected, I was like, you know, cool, we got a black president, but I don't agree with the, the vast majority of his views. And so I didn't vote for him. You know, I think he's a, I think he's a decent person. I, I really do. Um, but I, his policies, I, I thought they were they were not good. You know, 
I, I didn't like the vast majority of his, of his policies. And for me, when it comes to this is the problem that I, that I have when we talk about like these like these ethnic issues in in America, is that okay? Yeah, we got a, a black president. Cool. I'm not really that impressed as a black guy. Um, first of all, like it it's great that he became president. Don't get me wrong. Um, he was mostly qualified. I, I think that. Well, he was qualified. Obviously, he was qualified. Um, but the problem is, it's just like, I think that America puts too much on, um, when we talk about minorities, just black people. I'm not mm-hmm. impressed until I see, like, an Asian as as president. And I'm not just saying that, even before I knew about Andrew Yang, who I'm a huge proponent for, I said this way before I knew about Andrew Yang. I'm not impressed until I see other ethnic groups other than black people being highlighted by America because I don't like the the um, the spot that America has really put our group in is that they first of all the like a lot of Americans do not like black people to be blunt and second of all they try to hold us to the standard of well well if this black person can make it then racism is dead but I'm just like but what about all these other people that, that are dealing with these other ethnic issues what about these Latinos these Asians you know natives uh, native born people all these other ethnic groups that you're just going to ignore but it, as long as like one black person fills this role um, we're good to go it's like no I want us all to like rise up and realize that we're all just human beings and to, to, to base um, things on people's merit not just yeah, 100% meritocracy yeah the uh yeah, I guess so. Kind of something you said, and I was like, oh, made me think of this too. It was like, is it almost because, and you said it specifically because it's the worst that we've done. If we can say like, hey, look at, look, we're we're holding one up here, right? So clearly, like you said, clearly we've done right now. We're good. Reparations? Don't worry about that. Look. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. The, let's not yeah, help the rest of them. This one made it. <laughs> uh, anyway, we... no, but you know, as far as qualifications, though, like constitutional law, like the, the man knew his stuff. But positions on things, I don't agree with either. But definitely qualified, and I don't have a problem with there being opposition to my views. That's what that's what our nation is built on. It just we've we've swung too far one one particular. I I, I got to refresh my memory. Wasn't he a senator before? Yep, yep, one time. Okay, so yeah, so he was definitely qualified. Because I, I remember when he first um, ran, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And I, I didn't yeah. do enough research um, on him because I saw his policies and I was just like, no. I'm like, I'm not interested in those policies. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you made it to senator, people voted on you, so yeah. Yeah, he was a congressional law professor and then made it to the – so he did state senate one term and then federal, like congressional – uh, yeah, congressional senate at the national level for his state and then from there but like what work did he do while he was in the senate if he immediately ran for president as soon as he got the seat I mean, yeah that's i think that's where my that i'm it's coming back to me now yeah it's like how much did he actually do but you know whatever i don't i'm not trying to degrade because i don't want the fucking crab mentality all right i'm not a crab i'm not trying to pull if you're if you're wondering about the crab mentality just look up a video of crabs in a in a uh a bucket if you look at crabs mm-hmm. in a bucket any crab that gets high, the other crabs will just pull them down. I'm not crabbing on Barack Obama. Thank you for becoming president. I just didn't agree with your policies. I would love to have a beer with you, though, and, like, just t- to talk to you because you're an historic figure. 
and yeah. I'm not going to deny that. It's awesome. Um, and def- I've heard he's actually a pretty big beer connoisseur. Yes. Like he brewed his own beer, too, right, at the, at the White House. Yeah, I think that's totally awesome. And so on those things, <laughs> we totally agree. I love beer. Um, we'll have beers. Yeah, and I think it's good for, like, the, the optics for um, black people in America. Like, hey, a black guy did make it um, to the, the highest, you know, seat in America. Maybe you can, too. Not likely, because it's very, very unlikely that anybody becomes president. But, um, but yeah. Anyway, the guy's name was Michael Wood. <laughs> Going back to what we are talking about. The Baltimore PD guy. His name is Michael Wood. If if you look up uh, the Jurorgan Experience number six seventy, I think it was his first one, where he talks about his time in the police force in Baltimore, and it's very eye opening. On uh, mm-hmm. a, a, from a police officer talking about like racism in police departments and stuff like that. So anyway, uh, I think we got anything else? Any save rounds? Uh. No, I was just going to say, like, you, um, you said, oh, hey, look, one black guy made it. It's like, maybe you can too. I mean, there's not much of a chance of that. <laughs> and it, it, I mean, it's like, it's like well, I mean, I do hope someday to run for government office, right? So, but I also have more of a chance to run for president than, than you would, unfortunately. Well, no, I mean, you definitely would, because I have. Statistically, let's put it statistically. Even though. <laughs> Even though I would definitely vote for you, because I know you, um, I think that generally speaking, most people that that want power uh, do not deserve it. But yeah. I know you as a person, and I think that you would do a good job because you're actually going to try to solve problems. Um, but yeah, the vast majority <laughs> of them don't. Yeah, the problem is is that, that I'll be completely upfront about that, and no one's going to want to hear that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no one. That's the truth. No, I just want promises of stuff for me. Yeah, yeah. Where's the lobbyist at? Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the job I need. So, Brooke, I'm gonna switch gears a little bit because we're at, we're at the end of the the racism conversation, I think, right now, right? All right. So we're gonna talk about GameStop, even though this is gonna come out way after the GameStop thing, but this is gonna come back around to like uh, a thing that I was just thinking about. Um, so the whole we were talking about before the this whole podcast started is the whole GameStop stock situation. This is this podcast is going to come out probably months after this. But it's hilarious to me that this proved to me that the people's money could wash out, like, billion billionaires' money. Like, easily wash out their money. And I was just like... When I first heard about... Um, Andrew Yang had the idea about democracy dollars, about washing out lobbyist money. Like, basically, you, you give every American $100 to spend only on a politician of their choice. And it's to wash out democracy dollars. And I was just like, well, how would that work? Like, I was thinking about it, like, kind of logically. And I was like, once I I read this story, I was like, this is exactly how it works. This is exactly how it works. Because if you you have, you know, I think it's like, what, 270 million people in America that can vote? Something like that, right? Oh, geez, I think we might be up from there. I'll grab the number. You keep going. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's in like the upper 200 millions. Um, that can vote. And if you give them all a hundred dollars only for backing a candidate, that's a lot of money. And I don't think any sort of corporation or billionaire is willing to spend that sort of money to put somebody else in their pocket. And so the the fact that the people can then choose on who gets the funds to become to you know to run for whatever office that they want, I think is ingenious. So whether you can use the hundred dollars to all at once, 
for one candidate or break it up into pieces for like local candidates. I think that is like a really eloquent solution to like a very obvious problem here in America. Cause like how, how do you get rid of lobbyists without explicitly outlawing lobbyists, even though Make it, it not, yeah. yeah, even though it already should be illegal cause it's bribery. So 328 million total population, 75 million under the age of 18 makes us talk about 250 million. Like 250. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 250 million dollars plus you know 100 a piece. That's you know over two billion dollars. So um, nobody is going to want to face that. No corporation is going to want to waste that sort of money, even in increments. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and this yeah. small thing with the GameStop thing is is incredible like well and and also like look at like that's the start too right so i i over the in the last campaign so for this campaign for president i probably put 200 dollars on a candidate easily on my own oh i put a I, I put more than that in yeah <laughs> i so i i don't know i'm still hesitant to do so do much more because God, how many times did i do it so they had this thing where you could put 20 dollars and 20 cents because it was 2020 <laughs> So I, I had to have done that, yeah, maybe a dozen times. Anyways, but, like, I don't want to put a whole lot in, for one, for a, a third-party candidate, for an independent, like, yeah. or for a for a libertarian that I know is not going to win um, when I'm, I'm seeking a specific goal. And then I don't hear them mention that goal. Like, if your objective is to make it so that the next candidate has an opportunity to potentially actually attend a debate and really be on the ticket you know and have everybody talk about it if you if you aren't aware that that's your real only objective right now as a libertarian yeah presidential candidate you're deluding yourself so if you just keep talking about like let's win like you're not gonna win yeah self-aware right now yeah so i don't know i was i was a little hesitant totally agree with all the policies that's totally the candidate i want but it doesn't help me but like what that hundred dollars might do is make them think for the first time, hey, you know, okay, now I need to evaluate these candidates and put money that I have somewhere, right? And then once you start doing that, for one, you're going to keep on getting text messages, which I'm still getting. <laughs> yes, did. <laughs> but then, but then you're like, okay, maybe I maybe I can give a little more because I'm I'm interested in this candidate. And the more I see, the more I like. You know, uh, it maybe triggers that more money more money more money and then suddenly like I said there's no way there's no way anybody else can compete with that many people yeah and i think it, it also would get people to actually support monetarily the candidate of their choice because i think you know a lot of people they have candidates of their choice but hey you don't a lot of americans they don't have money just laying around to donate to no. to a cause you know so like why would they even do it so i think it, it would get people more involved into into politics in general like hey i've got some money on the line well it's not their money but you have something on the line um to your candidate and i think i think it's a cool solution um i doubt it's going to catch on because of obvious obviously lobbyists but if it did catch on i think you could make a significant dent on the way that politic the way that financing politicians would work in america for the better it's interesting you know to to address it <laughs> based on inspiration from this this GameStop thing. So, it's pretty funny. Yeah, well, I just the, the fact that I'm watching them, like the common man just yeah. caused it was like the last time I checked it was over 7 billion dollars in losses on hedge funds and investors. I was like, "Dude, 
that you, is so crazy this is making me think right so like <laughs> what i need to have happen is i need a reddit channel that's going to support a third support a libertarian candidate just to make sure that they can get on the next ticket that they at least understand like no you guys in reddit you hundred thousand people or whatever you need a vote just to make sure that they can get on the next one i don't if you because most of these people don't have a political concern they don't give a crap <laughs> yeah i honestly i think this is a start hopefully this is the start of something much bigger because yeah. i think that people figured out so first of all this is a unique time in history all right this is like Right now, it's very easy for anybody in America to trade stocks. It's super easy to trade stock. Most Americans, they didn't know that before this, before today, that it's crazy mm -hmm. easy to, to trade stock. And the fact that any common person could just put in a couple dollars here or there um, is incredibly powerful, especially when they realize that some of these hedge funds and investors are doing very shady, but legal things yep. Um, to screw over both companies and America. And I think that if it catches on, you're going to see this is going to be a huge disruption in uh, the stock market to begin with. And I think it's going to trickle down into politics as well. Because, yeah, like you just said, if somebody just started a Reddit channel, like, listen, um, let's have, you know, a channel for, you know, Joe Jorgensen and everybody, listen, let's just disrupt the whole, the next election cycle. We're going to pump all this money into her. And people don't care. Like, there are people that... Um, there's been a whole bunch of, like, misinformation about the GameStop thing because they're just like, oh, these people are going to incur so many, you know, tax losses if they, you know, pull the money up. Blah, blah. They, nobody cared about that. Nobody cared about possible losses. All they cared about was the fact that they're, if they put money into this stock, it would make those hedge funds and those um, investors incur... Incre potentially infinite and I'm being literal infinite losses by the more money that they put in it, take that, that same mindset and put it on a politician where we're just going to disrupt this whole political cycle they could do it we could do it and if I, yeah inspiration from this is that I, I'm going to see I'll, I'm going to look what's already there because that's part of it too is there's probably something already there that could inspire the next stage of it and they just got to just got to tweak it in the right direction. So. I think it's good, though, because I, th I think it's... That's kind of interesting, yeah. I mean, the path that America's on is, is, is kind of bleak to me, to be honest. And if, if we don't have some sort of, like, positive disruption, um, obviously a negative one would just destroy the country, but <laughs> we need a positive disruption yeah. in America to, like, just get us back to, to uh, our roots and um, helping out each other and, and just stop with this corporate greed nonsense and this whole um, dirty politicians and also the like when it needs to stop and if it could happen through like these insane internet driven you know pushes I'm all, I'm all for it I'll, I'll contribute wonder if I could get a constitutional amendment ratified through reddit how would that even work <laughs> that's very interesting how would that work <laughs> You have to have the state legislature vote on it the way it's written right now, though. But there's not, like, a method to change. Because I was like, what if I could get the... <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it would work. Well, it, it almost it almost be like blackmail. Like, if you ratified this, then we have this whole pool of money that we get. This It'd be like lobbying. <laughs> like, seriously. Whoa. You could have, like, a Reddit lobbyist group. Reddit like, lobbies. we want to get this certain thing... 
um, passed. We have this amount of money in a fund, and if you if you push for this, we will give you this fund. That's basically how lobbyists work. So, just to just yeah, have it out there. It's like state state legislatures in this state that we need to have ratify it still this is the amount of money in the pot right now as soon as you ratify this we'll just split it up amongst everybody who votes yes yeah seriously <laughs> dude that could change america like seriously <laughs> and, and then suddenly we have proportional representation yes yes and and we can get you know the senate's back the way they're supposed to be i don't know it'd be interesting make some changes through through coercion yeah that'd be that'd be real cool we'll, we'll have to talk about this we should think about this some more and then talk about it on some other podcasts because it's getting late um i yeah. know you, you have to get up probably way early than i do so uh i'll be up at 4 45 yeah i'm not getting up anywhere at 4 45 unless uh my daughter has to go pee so yeah. and then i'll let her go pee and i'll go back to sleep yeah. <laughs> no that's good i mean these are, you know, I, I look forward to it every week. So definitely enjoying myself. Oh, I let, let you down last week. I'm sorry. Huh? I'll, I'll let you down last week. I think the week before that. Sorry. Oh, I know we had some stuff going on. So, yeah. but yeah, I'm also going to try to record like a quick commercial maybe in the morning to drop on Addison's channel and my channel to try to tell people like, hey, come over and check it out. First episode is coming out today. You know. Yes, it is. It's already you saw it scheduled, right? I didn't check to see that it was scheduled for noon and not midnight. It's definitely noon, not midnight, oh. and there there are premieres, so it's all special. Um, there the first two are already scheduled for, what is it, the 29th of January and the fifth or sixth? I think yeah, the fifth. I think the fifth of February. They're already scheduled. That's premieres. And you did. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe I'll try to make sure I'm logged in and, and able to chat. Yeah, yeah. I will. Will that be? Ooh. I won't. Yeah, please. If you're available, do so. I'll have to. I'll, I'll be taking my daughter to uh, school like 15 minutes yeah. later. So yeah, maybe I'll. I'll keep it up on my screen. But yeah. Yeah. So again, I know this is not relevant to the people watching it this week. No, but, no. Hopefully, it went well. <laughs> figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, who knows? By the time you're watching this, you may already be on our Discord and a Patreon or something because we haven't even figured out what we're doing with this channel yet. We have not. And actually, I didn't set up the premiere, or I didn't set up the scheduling for the audio yet, which I have to do. Um, uh, I guess I'll have a later night than you. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, you'll have a later morning too. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Uh, good night. Later. We'll talk to you later. Oh. Yeah, it was timed again. <laughs> later. Okay. I was asking if you were able to record yet because had this on being weird that's pretty cool nice <laughs> that is recorded <laughs> you know i had it on because since we talked last i uh i did it i went and bought that motorcycle oh nice which, which one did you yeah. get um so i ended up getting a zero nice and i got the the dsr black forest mm -hmm. edition so it's like kind of a custom one so they have to it takes four to eight weeks they say for delivery but the guy at the factory, that's the guy at the main company, whatever, he's like, it never takes us that long, but.